I hurt myself today. Welcome to the IMDb Journey Podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I'm sure you hear that often more than I'd like. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I will never invite travelling strangers to stay the night, even if they did help me out in a jam. And today we'll be breaking down the superhero swan song, Logan. Dean, good to see you again, mate. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. We did have some uh, technical issues. Difficulties earlier on, but no, nah, I'm really, really looking forward to this one today. How you been? Yeah, I've been all right. I've done nothing spectacular this last week, just work and movies. Yeah, I know what that's like. This week, I actually took uh, Ethan to the MCG for the first time to see a game of uh, AFL. This sounds my very t- reminiscent of my last team, time you said it, wasn't my it? My team, uh, St Kilda, against your team, Melbourne, and... Uh, our times have changed. Yes, the mighty Saints got up, so no, it's good for Ethan to finally see them win. So no, good, it was a good. Good day. to see anyone see them win, wasn't it? It is good for everyone to <laughs> see them win. Maybe not you. No, not not particularly this week. No, but good on them. So be sure to stick around after the breakdown, where we'll be answering questions submitted by you, the listeners. We'll find out the results of last week's draft on movies remade from foreign films. We'll take each other on in another movie quiz, and this week's movie draft, which in the theme of Logan, will be Hugh Jackman films. We'll also be talking about what else we've been watching this week, including the latest dino flick Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, The Rock's next action film Skyscraper, the 20th MCU film Ant-Man and the Wasp, and the newly released comedy Tag. So plenty to sink your ear holes into. And if this is your first time listening to us, hopefully you've already subscribed to us by now. If you haven't, we'd hope that you do so. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and where most other podcasts are kept, including Stitcher, TuneIn, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, as well as our host site, Wooshka. Wooshka. Just check the show notes for links to these great sites for all of our content. And to everyone out there, we really love hearing and seeing feedback from you, but also get out there and spread the word about us to everyone you know. Get them involved in the podcast too. If it helps, you could perhaps mention that this podcast will help you cross the border at any cost. Another way to help get our name out there is to go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us, which would hopefully help us move up the charts there for other like-minded listeners like yourselves to notice us too, so they too can do the same and we can get a nice revolving circle going on. We actually got another 10 reviews this week from you guys out there. Dean, what was your favourite one you saw this week? Yeah, I'd say the one from Enozoria. This podcast is amazing. I put this on and then realized I'd spent an hour listening, but not in a bad way. This is an amazing podcast, which made me laugh, giggle, and got me to the point where I thought I couldn't breathe due to laughing. Stop what you were doing now and listen to this. Could not agree with you more. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic review there. Thank you very much. And to the other nine people who put your reviews in, thank you so much. We really, really do appreciate it. And if you want to interact with us throughout the week too, we're on Twitter at IMDB Journey. I respond to everything sent our way, and it is a great way to keep up to date with us as we regularly tweet what else we've been watching throughout the week. So you too can leave your thoughts there, and we'll read them out in the podcast as well. We're also on Letterboxd, which is a great movie review site that everyone can get on to share their own reviews on film, make their own lists, and interact with people on there too. You can follow our podcast page at letterboxd.com slash Journey, and you can follow our personal pages too, where we keep our movie diary constantly up to date, make our own lists, and drop quick reviews as well. I'm at letterbox.com slash hendo, and Dean is at letterbox.com slash dino underscore j88. <laughs> Rolls right off the oh, top. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're also into Facebook, we have a page there too, which we drop information about the podcast as well, and that's at facebook.com slash Journey. And I'll add all these links to the show notes for this episode as well. So plenty of ways to interact with us and get involved. You've really got no excuse at this point. No, of course not. <laughs> Give me the update. 
We're into a new month now, so surely there's an update for the IMDb there Top is an update. 250 list. There is an update, Dean. What have we got? Well, let's start off with Infinity War. How low? It was at 19 when we last looked at it. It's dropped down to 20. It's dropped the spot in a month. So I'd say we're going to be seeing Infinity War stick around that area. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, taken us- That's damn yeah. impressive. Yeah. Although uh, maybe when it gets you know released on Blu-ray and other streaming services, it'll a much more wider audience will see it. Yeah, I say it won't go any further than forty to fifty. Having a look further down the list, we see that City Lights has taken over Once Upon a Time in the West and moved up to number thirty-five on the list. Back to the Future has taken over Raiders of the Lost Ark at number forty-three. A little bit further down, we see that Wally has taken over Coco at number it's, sixty-two. It's pronounced Wally. It's, you always say Wally. It's Wally. not Wally. 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 Yeah, he doesn't say Wally. It's Wally. Well, it's Wally. Anyway, it's now taken us rain back as the highest Pixar film on the top two fifty, as it should. Dean, do you know what the highest animation film is on the top 250? Is it Spirited Away? Very good. That is correct. Very As good. it should be. We also see that Singing in the Rain has gone down two spots to number 92 over 2001 A Space Odyssey and Three Idiots. We also have a debut on the list again. It is Incredibles 2 is sitting at number 169 at the moment. Very good. No doubt that'll drop out. And I guess because of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out recently, Jurassic Park has moved up from... 192 to 186, so it's a little bit of a lift there. Do you think people are realising how much better Jurassic Park is now that they've seen Fallen Kingdom? That could very well be the case, how fantastic Jurassic Park is, yes. Blade Runner 2049 has gone down from 200 to 212. You did say enjoy it while it lasts to Deadpool 2, as they went from 219 to out of the list. So, yep. good good call there, Dean. And back in the list for this month is PK, Gangs of Wasipa. And Beauty and the Beast and Out is Akira, 12 Monkeys, and Akira. Why did I write it twice? (laughs) What was the other film? Now it's gone. I can't even tell. Because I deleted it off the list. (laughs) Was it um, Dog Day? No, it wasn't. Was it Pirates of the Caribbean? No, it's on there too. I'll just say Akira and 12 Monkeys. And out of the list is Akira and 12 Monkeys. Hopefully. Hold on, I thought you said there were three <laughs> three movies coming in. Why is there only two going out? I'm deleting that. <laughs> I'm going to comment. <laughs> Don't comment, cunt. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no, you said Deadpool 2. No, because that was Incredibles 2 that took over that. Oh, okay. Why do I want to cure it twice? <laughs> Okay, so as always, we're going to start our breakdown of Logan this week, uh, starting with full-on spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, just be fair warned, we will be spoiling it from the get-go. Fantastic. So we're going to take a short break, give you a promo from the Recasting Couch podcast, and we'll be back on the other side with Logan. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from the Recasting Couch the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey, Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Like you. Very much like you. I am not whatever it is you think I am. She needs our help. Someone will come along. 
someone has come along. So, Logan released in 2017, starring Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Daphne Keane, Boyd Holbrook, Stephen Merchant, and Richard E. Grant, directed by James Mangold. Do you know what other work James Mangold has done? Yes, um, he's done Kate and Leopold. Okay. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. That is a Hugh Jackman film, isn't it? It is a Hugh Jackman film. Yeah. Who's Um, the the Kate in it? Meg Ryan? No, Kate Hudson. Okay. Well, I don't know. How did you not know that? Actually, it probably is Meg Ryan. Because I haven't seen it. No, actually, I think it is Meg Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's also done The Wolverine. Yes, of course, The Wolverine, which um, you can see what he was trying to do with that film. But I think Did you like The Wolverine? It, okay, so I appreciate what he was trying to do with that film, but I think it lost its way about halfway through and the second half was a, a real letdown. So in the end, I didn't like it as a full movie, but it had potential. Yeah, and also he did Walk the Line as well. Ah, uh, yes, a really which, good uh, film. I like that one. Oh, and Identity. Identity, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, like a, one of those films that gets uh, surely forgotten about. Gets I, worse every time you watch it. Oh, really? I, I really I, liked it the first time I saw I it. I think I've seen it twice, and I liked it both times. But oh, you're telling okay. every, time, every time you watch it, it gets worse? I don't know. I feel like, yeah, it's not the same on uh, subsequent viewings. Oh, fair enough. So this film only got nominated for one Oscar? Only. Only. For a February release superhero film, I think a Oscar nom is pretty good. I think for a very early horror film, Get Out certainly got a hell of a lot of nominations and awards for that too. <laughs> no, Get Out was very topical of the times and it shed a light for a lot of people on, um, you know, re-raising racism issues, especially in America. So, No, of course. Yeah, fair enough. But the nomination it did get nominated for was the Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, which it eventually lost to Call Me By Your Name. Do you agree with that? I kind of do, actually. Yeah? I think the screenplay for Call Me By Your Name is kind of great. Yeah, I really agree with that. And with a budget of $97 million, it received a worldwide gross of $619 million and was the 15th highest for that year. 15th? I mean, you think $619 million is pretty high. It only hit number 15 for the year. Yeah, a bit of a letdown then. Is that what you're getting at? I, I was going to say, for an, that, R-rate, for an R-rated superhero... Oh, not superhero. For an R-rated movie, I think that's extraordinarily high. It's not... Deadpool 1 levels. I would say the studio doesn't really care about where it ranks at the end of the year. I think it cares about the money it got back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, in June 2017, Logan became the number one superhero movie of all time, according to Rotten Tomatoes, knocking The Dark Knight down to number two. That's surprising. I think it is. I think it is, yeah. That is surprising. Yeah, I... Uh, I don't know, thoughts on both movies, I guess I disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously, The Dark Knight's a far superior film, but, I mean, it's great that you got a movie like this getting so much, not just commercial success, but critical success. Exactly. And, obviously, after watching it, you can really see why. And, naturally, it's the highest-rated X-Men movie on IMDb with an 8.1. Do you know what the next two are? Uh, I would say it is Days of Future Past. Correct. And Deadpool. Correct. Both with an 8.0. So, not far off the mark. No, but both are great films in for me as well, personally. Hugh Jackman said that this was the hardest Wolverine movie he had ever had to train for, which he said also included induced dehydration for 48 hours prior to the filming scenes where he was shirtless, losing that water weight. He said that the method he did was that it was very dangerous. No one should ever attempt it at home. It, it makes him look very... yeah. Muscly, but emaciated as well. Yeah, but bodybuilders do that regularly as well to accentuate their muscles and veins and stuff. Yeah, but it's dangerous. I mean, I'm sure it is dangerous. Obviously, that's I part don't of think the why it's the hardest th- training he's done. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's maybe as dangerous for him. He's obviously surrounded by expert personal trainers and fitness. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, 
obviously he's worried that um, he'll say something like that and then someone will hear it and go home and not drink for two days straight and yeah. pass out. Yeah. Like, there's obviously things you need to do to make sure that you are um, you can get through that. But, yeah, he's, he's obviously massive and ripped in this film. I was just trying to think if... um. But, uh, yeah, I'd probably say I think he was bigger in Days of Future Past. Yeah, I completely agree. That's when I he thought. goes back in time and he gets out of the bed and the guy starts running, he he looks enormous yeah. in that. Yeah, but maybe it's just because he um he obviously looks a lot younger and a lot fitter that it does stand I was out. Gonna more. say maybe maybe due to his age as well, it's a bit harder for him to continue that extensive, extraneous training as well. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And Jackman's actually come out. Um, Has he? <laughs> Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> nah, he's come out saying that this will be his last time as playing the Wolverine. Um, he said his age and his skin cancer, which I didn't realise he had, other factors going towards that, but also that he doesn't want to get to the point where audiences aren't excited to see his portrayal of Wolverine on screen. He actually cited uh, Jerry Seinfeld yeah. and, and his... um. You know, desire not to do a tenth season of Seinfeld because he didn't ever want to get it where that the show's, you know, not as exciting to viewers as it always had been. So it's great that he's gone out on a high here and, uh, yeah, good on him, I say. Not a bad way to do it. I mean, no, of course not. You think about it, when he was cast as Wolverine in the first X Men, he was a no one. Mm. Like, he was, yeah, he was, he was no one. So yeah, he's turned this character into his own over 17 years and he's what, now nine a, movies, is it? Is yeah, it nine? nine movies. Yeah. Um, He's not in Deadpool 1, is he? They just no. show the pictures of him. Yeah. yeah, nine movies. And, I mean, he's a bona fide A-list actor now. And he's still, you know, he's played Wolverine the, in t- his entire career to this point. So, yeah, it must be, obviously, he has a lot of attachment to it. And it's great that he can go out on a high note. Exactly. And throughout his portrayal of Logan, Hugh Jackman actually said that he learned his American accent from copying Johnny Depp. I did see that, yeah. and I don't get that at all. No. I, <laughs> I don't think it sounds anything like Johnny Depp. But maybe, in fairness, maybe I'm just, uh, I'm not hearing Johnny Depp as uh, as he would normally sound. I'm kind of imagining Captain Jack yeah, Sparrow. Jack Sparrow, yeah. <laughs> so that I'm doesn't like, sound like he's him. He's not like Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that there's a um, black and white sort of film noir version of this as a Blu-ray extra. Have you uh, ever seen that? No, I haven't. Also, there's a Mad Max Fury Road one as well. I reckon it'd be really interesting to go see both of these versions of these films. Yeah, yeah. I reckon that'd be great. Maybe not, honestly, maybe not Mad Max. I feel like um, a lot of the storm and all those sort of scenes are probably really helped by colour, whereas I feel like Logan, there's not a heap of bright colours going on. Uh, I'll disagree with you with Mad Max. I don't think it's a very colourful film. I think it's a very brown and sepia-style film and a black-and-white I don't know if it would help it or not, but it would be... I don't think it would detract from the the colourful look of it. Mm. You don't think a black and white version would detract from the colourful look of a film? It would, if it was a colourful film. And Mad Max Fury Road isn't a colourful film. It's colourful storms. Black and white would definitely detract from something from, like, Wizard of Oz. There's black and white in Wizard of Oz. And then they get to the colour, and it's like, whoa, colour! If she went to Oz and it was black and white, I'm like, okay, what do I care? It's an odd, uh, odd choice to use it as an example. I try, I try and give references <laughs> to the ones we've done before. Now, you know what would be weird is this, if this half black and white movie was all black and white. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, not, really mind. The, not really the same thing. And with an average of 8.1 over 490,000 ratings, it's currently sitting on the list at number 207. So let's get into a plot summary, hey, by me this week. And I have a very riveting plot summary here for you. 
In the near future, a weary Logan cares for an ailing Professor X somewhere on the Mexican border. However, Logan's attempt to hide from the world and his legacy are upended when a young mutant arrives pursued by dark forces. Great okay. plot summary there. Thank you very much. Well thought out. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it takes me a while. <laughs> it's a cut and paste from IMDb. <laughs> of course. Well, with the IMDb Journey podcast. <laughs> All right, let's get into the breakdown. First scene of the film, Dean, kick it off. I love it. I love, love, love the opening of this film. <laughs> Honestly, it took me about half an hour to watch the first five minutes here because I was just, I was making so many notes about everything I thought was fantastic here. I just thought it's so great. So the opening shot, we've got old man Logan lying in the back seat of his truck. He's so grey now. And it's weird, like I was watching throughout the movie, this is actually the greyest his hair looks oh, yeah. the entire film. Now, I can't imagine that they're changing the colour of his hair throughout, but I just really did stand out as a lot of the grey and whites here. Um, he's got the giant veins popping out of his temple. And then we get the first line of the movie. Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell this is not going to be like all the other X-Men films. I mean, this is a, a quiet entrance, a somewhat slow it's it, but it's dark. It, it's it's grim. You can see, like I said, he's very old now. The big bushy grey beard. It really shows how far not only the character of Logan but Hugh Jackman himself has come along the way here. Yeah, even the next shot of his feet coming out of the car tells us heaps. This is not a super-powered Wolverine anymore. This is an old man who's struggling to stand up at this point. And when he sees the gang of four trying to jack his wheels, he can't. He calmly says, "They're just going to strip the bolts," you know. But it's not calm in a, like, I'm so powerful, I don't have to be scared anymore tone. He's it's, over it. Yeah, it's a calm <laughs> that comes from exhaustion. Yeah. Like, he flat out just cannot be bothered with this shit anymore. <laughs> and he's just, he's just trying to get them to go away. <laughs> then he cops a bloody shotgun blast to the chest and falls down. I absolutely love what Ma James Mangold did here. This shot is epic. You see Logan on his back, and finally the title of the movie comes on screen. Logan, just next to this old man laying on his back, announcing to the audience that this is our protagonist here, and he is not like the Wolverine we know and love. Yeah, I actually found part of the original script here, courtesy of the We Watch The Thing podcast, and it's at this point where Mangold had written down on the script... Now might be a good time to talk about the fights described in the next 100 or so pages. Basically, if you're on the make for a hyper-choreographed, gravity-defying, city-block-destroying CG fuckathon, this ain't your movie. In this flick, people will get hurt or killed when shit falls on them. They will just get up as hurt or just as killed if they get up with something big and heavy like, say, a car. Should anyone in our story have the misfortune to fall off a roof or out a window, they won't bounce, they will die. As for a hero with his so-called internal life and healing, well, he's older now. If you keep reading, you'll discover Logan's about to get his ass kicked. But before we get to that, we should make it clear his abilities ain't what they were. Yes, he's a drunk, but he's also fading on the inside. Adamantium implants leaching into his system, causing chronic pain and diminished healing, hence booze as painkiller. So by all means, go ahead and worry about him. And according to James Mangold, allowing for film to be R-rated was important, not so much for the violent content, but for the style. He said, For me, what was most interesting in getting the studio to okay an R-rating was something entirely different. They suddenly let go of the expectation that this film was going to play for children. And when they let go of that, you're free in a myriad of ways. The scenes can be longer. Ideas being explored in dialogue or otherwise can be more sophisticated. Storytelling pace can be more poetic and less built like attention span deficit theatre. Yeah, and you can really tell it from from this scene already. Like, it, I think it's just so well set up for us. <laughs> I love how he goes to extend his claws. Like, all right, here we go. He's back. And one of them won't come out all the way. Yeah. 
He notices straight away as well. He knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. I thought that was so well done. And again, if you weren't too sure of how much different this was going to be, here it is right here. The violence here is brutal. We see limbs hacked off, claws going up into faces. Logan even drops a motherfucker in there too. (laughs) Yeah, you say limbs hacked off. I love it when the hand gets chopped off and the hand falls to the ground and then fires the shotgun it was holding. Like these tiny little details like that. I just found so great. And you see how angry he gets when the car does get shot. Like, all he's doing is trying to protect his limo here. (laughs) Not the car. And when he does get shot, he's like, that's it. And he just goes crazy. (laughs) I must say, next up here, we get Logan at the funeral. And I would say this is probably my favorite shot of the film, to be honest. The cinematography here is fantastic. Man leaning against the tree. You can just tell. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's in stunning. the rain, stunning. drinking his straight oh, it's, bourbon. It's so good. It's nice and symbolic as well, where he's like he's standing there in front of all the graves and that. You you don't know right now, but if you're watching it on a second, when you're watching it for a second time around, when you know that all the mutants have passed away and he's like one of the last left, mm. that is a bit more symbolic where he's standing over all these graves, drinking your sorrows away. Yeah, I mean, and the movie's going to end on the shot of a grave as well. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. But it's here at the cemetery where we get our first glimpse of Laura in the back of the car. And the Spanish woman? What's her name? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) She comes to him asking for help. Get the fuck away from me. (laughs) Classic Logan. (laughs) Gabriella, that's her name. (laughs) Uh, Sweet, sweet Gabriella. Classic Gabriella. I like Logan's first meeting here with Pierce in the back of the limo. We get a bit more information about this woman, Gabriella. We also get a little tease from Pierce here. I know what you're hiding, amigo. The old cue ball south of the border. And anyone who's seen all these films before, they know immediately who the cue ball is when he's talking about him. Yeah, of course. Do you actually not know what he meant when he said cue ball? Obviously I know. I was just just having a laugh for your benefit. You say you like this bit. I actually didn't like this scene at all, to be honest. No? Um... Nah, the way the way we we get our introduction to Donald Pierce, it just he just wasn't threatening at all for me. Like I know he's trying to come across as like a cocky and menacing guy, but it just fell so flat for me. Maybe- well, I th- I think it's because he's up against Logan here, and no one is really seeming threatening when you're talking well, to Logan. Well, that's not true. We've seen how weak he is now straight away. He it- still can kill a man or two. Yeah, but he's not the superhero that he once was. I just, I don't know, maybe he was too young compared to Logan. But as you say, like, you know, he's up against Logan. He's got no real physical presence to him. Like, I know he's got that stupid gimmicky robot hand. He doesn't but really do much with that threat. No, the film, it does, does nothing. <laughs> yeah, I must say, like, Pierce in general is a pretty weak depiction of a villain here. He's just so forgettable, honestly. One, like, one thing that's good about him is he's not the weakest villain in this film. <laughs> that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah... So as you see Logan driving across the border here, you can really see how beaten down and deteriorated he's become. And you can see here that he's looking to buy a boat. Like, really quickly, he's talking about, I'll pay cash, he just wants Mm. to get it. He really just wants to get away from all this shit, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So here's our introduction to Caliban, played by Stephen Merchant. Where do you remember Stephen Merchant from? Uh, From his collaborations with Ricky Gervais. Of course. One of my favourite comedians. What do you think of his performance here? Honestly, it was hard for me to separate it from his comedic roles I've seen him in so much of previously. Life's too short, the extras. I didn't I didn't like it to be honest. I wasn't a fan of his casting in this film. Okay. I thought it was an odd choice. He's not a 
you know, traditional actor by any means. I'm not sure why they went with a do you think it's because of his, Do you think it's because of his physical appearance, like that tall, lanky, the 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 face kind of looks like that kind of. I mean, a lot of that's like <laughs> obviously tall and lanky isn't makeup, but <laughs> you say like the face and stuff. Like, there's a lot of tall people they could have cast as Caliban. It just it did take me out of it a bit. I did. I was very aware I was watching Stephen Merchant, and like. It's not like he's a com- he's a played for a comedic character either. No, not at all. No. So, no. were you were you expecting him to crack a couple of jokes? Um, no, no, not really. I was just mystified at why he was in this film. Okay, fair enough. I thought it was a decent performance by him. You can obviously tell he doesn't like sunlight, as we see through these couple of brief shots here. We also learn all we need to know about him without them ever actually spelling it out for us, which is. A mark of a good film here. You don't. They don't need to say it. They yeah. just they can show it. And it shows respect for the viewers and stuff. And it's much better when you know they don't force feed you every no, bit of, of information. Not. And that, you know that there is so much stuff that on second, third, fourth viewings that you do pick up on. You do. You want to feel that reward of finding something out yourself from what you're watching. Yeah. You know, not just the filmmakers having their characters tell you everything you need to know. Exactly. I much prefer films like this. Yeah, so now we get into the new and not-so-improved version of our Professor X, played obviously by the great Patrick Stewart. In his last role as Professor X, as he stated. Yeah, Patrick Stewart actually lost a heap of weight for this role and uh, made it a lot easier for Hugh Jackman to carry him around all the time. Oh, of course, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> not that it would really, a few extra kilos would make much difference <laughs> to uh, Hugh Jackman looking the way he does. Nah, not at all. Nah, this is a great scene here. It's showing how far gone Charles is, yet how powerful he still is with his mind, which is incredibly deadly considering how unstable he is now. We can see Logan can fight through the seizures, but we also see how far this goes as we see Caliban being heavily affected by this too outside of this metal dome that he's been put in to stop like to stop people getting affected yeah, by this yeah yeah which will obviously come into play a lot later on moving forward and which is obviously why that you know professor x is a wanted man and the government doesn't want him to be let loose which honestly is pretty understandable yeah of course and obviously what we see man i say obviously a lot what we see in the later on it's always obvious it is so obvious to us (laughs) (laughs) no but what we see later on with um what Charles did to the other X-Men, the government would have known about that, so they are fully aware of his abilities and powers. It's actually kind of amazing that Logan was able to get him away, to be honest. Yeah, did you know how they how they shot that psionic blast that he has, with the, the, how they make the seizure? No. It was actually done by shooting some shaky footage and then restabilizing the frame in post-production. It ended up resulting in footage containing this strange motion blur with like a smearing effect that is both organic and very unusual. Hitchcockian. Yes, of course. Hitchcockian. Revolutionary camera techniques. I love it. (laughs) I do love the line here by Charles. I always know who you are. It's just sometimes I don't recognize you. And it's a good double meaning there as it shows his spats of senility, but also showing how much Logan has changed since the original films as well. Yeah, and not just Logan, but Charles as well. Like. This character has gone a massive transformation, and for I know, me... he went from looking like James McAvoy to Patrick Stewart. I mean, that's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> but for me, like, this scene was actually maybe a bit too jarring for me. I actually felt watching it that this character had gone too far. Now, it doesn't become too much of a negative for me because as we... Because of what we learn later on down the track, we understand more why, and we do see bits of the old um, Professor X come through. But on first viewing, I was definitely very off-put by this. Even something small like, 
like Professor X telling Logan to fuck off. I was like, I get it's an R-rated movie. I get that we're having violence and swearing. I just honestly felt that that sort of language didn't fit with that character. And when I first saw it, I felt like, oh, okay, are they really... Maybe they're going too far here in the other direction. Do you think that you've just got that opinion because of all the non-swearing Professor X's we've got over all these other movies? He does have that kind of attitude, but because it's a PG-13 film, that they... they don't have him say that. Yeah, see, I, no, I don't think so. Because no? I can see, well, I can see a character like Logan swearing a lot and it's not, it doesn't feel out of place. Yeah, I can see, you know, other X-Men say Quicksilver, for example, he would swear naturally and it would feel organic. But I, I don't know. I feel like the, the old man mentor of Professor X, it probably, especially being a, a bloody teacher to children, I feel like his swearing would not be prolific at all. No, I agree. No, yeah, I do. I do understand your opinion. You know who is uh, good at the swearing? I'm the juggernaut, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> I, I do apologise to everyone for, for talking about X-Men Last Stand in the Logan film. <laughs> we won't be doing that again. <laughs> There's also another line here by Logan that I really liked. I've always thought we were part of God's plan. Maybe, maybe we were God's mistake. Yeah, you can like you can clearly see here. Logan has really gone very sour on the world now. A little bit. Yep. Yeah, and he says that he he says that line in sort of response to us finding out that there hasn't been a new mutant in twenty five years. It's very uh, Children of Men esque. Yes, that's right. Actually, Children of Men was one of the films that uh, James Mangold took um homage to homage no nah, it's good it shows the pain and self-loathing that logan feels now like like he is a mistake like he doesn't belong just quickly we go back to logan's room and we do see the the samurai sword hanging on the wall from the wolverine nice little callback from uh another one of mangold's works yes of course i'm surprised he still um had hold of it after all these many years he's a sentimental man Okay, then. Why would a man with claws coming out of his hands need a sword, really? Like you just said, it's sentimental. He's always not going to use it to carve people up. I actually don't remember the Wolverine very well at all. Does he use the sword? Or is it like a um, trinket from his enemy? I legitimately cannot tell you. (laughs) I haven't seen it since 2013. Trying to picture him holding a sword. Mm, No, he doesn't need to. So this talk with Caliban coming up here, we see that Logan, he's been having suicidal thoughts. Like, he keeps his adamantium bullet with him, and Caliban also talks about the pus on his knuckles, like the wounds not healing, his impaired vision, all these things just continuing to show Logan getting worse and worse as time goes on here. Yeah, this adamantium bullet that we introduced to here, definitely a case of the old Chekhov's bullet. Yes, of course. Yep. We'll play a big part later on. Very so. crucial role. Yeah, no, nah, nice little setup here. So Logan gets this call out to the motel. Did you notice he still had the tag on his glasses? Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> That's good, because Caliban sort of says, you know, like, you kn- I know you can't read. <laughs> so, he's sort of like, yeah, I probably should get some glasses here. So, no, that was, that was, you know, stuff like that. They're little things. One thing I did like here as well is earlier on before, Charles mentioned uh, he had to go to the Statue of Liberty. And Logan pa- passed it off as, you, you know, that's... Delusional. Back- yeah, it's, that's from the You're back thinking of, the of X-Men 1. Yeah, like, that's, what he, that's what he says. You're thinking of 2000. We've had eight or nine movies since then. <laughs> Keep up, old man. But no, it's the Liberty <laughs> Motel. That's, yeah. And that's what he's saying. You need to go to the Statue of Liberty. So you see that Logan ruffles through some papers here and he notices an X-Men book. Oh, I love it. 
I love, the, I love the Wolverine comic we see here. It's Fascinating so to see how they've blended this world with the real world that we live it's in. very clever. Yeah. Like, these books are based off real people and events that actually happened. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very good. Yeah. One of, honestly, one of the better ideas from the film, I think. I'm not sure if um, I haven't read the Old Man Logan comics that this was based on. I'm not sure if they have the same sort of um, ideas in there, but I love it. If this is a Mangold invention, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, let's skip forward a little bit. Yeah, well, we don't need to talk about Gabriella. She dead. It's over. She did. She did. I want to talk about when the cavalry show up at the, what is it, cabin? Mexico. <laughs> it's pronounced Mexico. I thought it was Mexico. Mexico? I don't know. What is it? Uh, a ranch. I'd say a ranch. Yeah, ranch ranch yeah. is closer than cabin. Yep, of course. <laughs> no, I want to talk about this scene now when the cavalry show up at the ranch uh, to pick up Laura. At this point, we don't actually know what she is, like what she's capable of, and just how dangerous she can be. It even just gives us a bit of a tease here where we only hear the violence off screen and she comes walking out with the head. That's when we find out how deadly she is. And after we get that tease, we get the main event as she starts carving up a bunch of soldiers with ease here. Yeah, finally, we've had all this talk and set up of Laura and finally we get this fantastic action scene. This is brilliant. She gets shot in the chest with a spear gun and gets dragged back. Like, how fucking brutal is that? We see the amazing shot of her two claws coming out. We get the cool reveal that she has feet claws. Yep. What are we? Talons, what do we call them? Laura's fighting style as well is so great. She's so agile and so light on her feet, jumping from person to person with ease. So many flips. It's just such a contrast to the way that Logan fights. He's obviously bigger and stronger, where she she uses her strengths the way she does. She even does the whole... <laughs> Wolverine from X2 drop down from above with both arms digging deep into the enemy. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of um, X2 in the school. One other thing I love about it, Laura's scream is so good. Yes. <laughs> like, she said nothing to this point, but this scream, like, it's it's fantastic. The fight is so bloody as well, as it should be. That is why this is my... Excellent! Now, this is my favourite scene, as I said. It could have easily been one of the more emotionally charged moments from later on in the film, but honestly, to finally see Wolverine, and now child Wolverine, fighting in a scene the way they should is perfect. Finally, we get to see the realistic damage these indestructible blades can do. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, this is the X-Men movie we always needed. Yeah. Like we've said before, you can't have a character like Wolverine, like a guy with knives coming out of his hands, stabbing people, slashing at people, and not have a bloody. And he's a dark, gritty person who has gone through a lot of shit. And to bring this amount of violence to the screen with this character really works perfect. But, like every other movie, the bad guys can't shoot for shit as well. They are horrible. (laughs) But I do love how they don't ram the fence successfully. Like, again, showing us this isn't your typical superhero film. Like, things are going to be more realistic, and they can be in a world with mutants. Heroes are going to fail, and not everything is going to go their way. Everyone is vulnerable, so expect the unexpected. They should have got hit by the train when they tried to cross. <laughs> I think that that might have been taking it a bit too far. That was, that was very uh, superhero movie-esque, the, the heroes just narrowly getting through the train. Yeah, you mentioned they finally escape, and they... they just briefly past the train. And the this- longest train ever seen of on course. film, I might add. <laughs> when, when they sort of got past and stopped, I was like, what are they doing? Hurry! <laughs> <laughs> no, they have enough time like, for a stare down. No, no, never mind. Never mind. And we get Pierce say, Bring me the tracker! Little do we know who or what the tracker is at this point. Yeah. But we will soon. 
Yes, we will. You got nothing about the, the Caliban torture? Oh, fuck Caliban. <laughs> Hashtag fuck Caliban. Caliban is, yeah, he's so... Like, I get why he's in this film. It just feels like they needed a way to always be on um, Logan and Laura's trail. And here's Well, he doesn't guy. really do much after this point, does he? Like, he has this scene where he gets tortured, and then there's the scene where he's in the back of the... the At the hotel. Oh, yeah, the hotel, but he doesn't do anything there. And then there's a... Well, the he bit- leads them there. Yep. That's, that's the whole point of it. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't yeah. do anything. He just is an excuse for the he, bad guys to always be on the tail of the good guys. He could very easily be the tracker that they're talking about. <laughs> you know, like, would this movie be really any different if they literally planted a tracker on Logan when they first met? Probably not. <laughs> now, I want to talk about them watching this video that is on this iPhone. So yeah, this You talk about exposition. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This video... I take back everything I just said. <laughs> It's one of those spots in this film that I've seen a lot of lols at. Like, this had audio dubbing over an edited video. Like, she turned it into a documentary. When and how would she have done this? During the downtime between motel hopping? And how is she getting some of these shots without being noticed? It is ridiculous. Yeah, this video is is a joke. Yeah, it's so bad. Like, how do you think they're going to get away with this? I don't know why they let this go in. Like, was there no better way to show it? It, there obviously was. Like, couldn't you have, like, Charles, like, reading the mind of Laura and you sort of see what he's seeing in yeah. flashbacks and stuff? Like, you're going to have something, but this this video that just tells them everything they need to know, it's like, yeah. come on. Yeah, not a, not a high point of this film. Lazy writing. But while they are watching this, we get a quick shot of Laura riding a motorized toy horse at the convenience store. And this quick little shot is great, I think. Like, showing... Showing that through all this violence, mutation, and destruction, she's still just a young little girl wanting to do things that normal young girls would want to do. She needs that innocence to become a complex character and create more weight to the situations that will be coming up later on. Yeah, exactly. She does... They they don't shy away from the fact that she is a little girl. No. Which is great. Yeah. You know, like, yes, she's a killing machine, but she's also... Fuck, how old is she? Eight? Ten? I think she was, yeah, about nine, ten-ish. Yeah, she's yeah. also a ten-year-old girl Yeah, at heart, so... It is good. And, of course, you see her start to rage when the horse stops working, and again, when confronted by the cashier. Like, this is a go-to emotion, and it comes from a lifetime of being worked on and abused in these labs. We also hear that, based on DNA samples and that, that this is technically Logan's daughter. And it does take him a while to process this information, but gradually, we'll see him come to accept this, care for her, and ultimately do whatever he has to do to protect her. And this is another thing that makes Logan so unique from the others in the franchise, grounding our main characters in reality and giving them deep emotional weight. Yeah, we kind of saw that along the way with like young Magneto, but nowhere near as realised and focused as here. Yeah, I think the motives for this film and what they're actually trying to do and the fact that it's not some big save a city, save the world sort of event, it's really just him trying to save Charles and Laura the whole way through and get her to somewhere safe. And the fact that they, as you say, they do ground it, they do make it a smaller story, a much, much smaller story. Oh, yeah. It makes it, it's just, it's so much better for it. I also love the blink and you'll miss it shot of Logan grabbing the cigars on the way out the door when he gets Laura out of the, the convenience shop. Little throwback there. I didn't mind it. Yeah, it was good. So I want to talk about them rocking up at the casino now. So we mentioned before that... Laura was like 9, 10 years old. Daphne Keane was actually 11 at the time of filming, so she wasn't actually allowed inside the casino, even with all the correct shooting permits they had. So some of the shots were done with Keane on a green screen, and some of the scenes were shot in the actual casino with Daphne Keane's body double, who was over 18, but of a similar build to her. The build of a child. Of course. Now, Charles actually mentions the clothes and how they need to get some new ones. 
when she's looking at these mannequins. But obviously, Laura is looking at these mannequins and how they're holding hands. Like, she's curious about this closeness they have, like this bond they share. Maybe she's looking to experience that. Well, I think for sure. Like, obviously, the amount of affection and care that she's seen in her life has been minimal to none. Obviously, Gabriella would have shown her some um, some love, but in reality, she's seeing, you know, a little girl holding the hand of a father or of a man, and she longs for that. And yeah. you see that here, and it's good. It sets up her her motivations for later on because she does come to care deeply for Logan, and it doesn't come from nowhere. Scenes like this really do start to set it up. Exactly. So they're in the motel room, and... They're watching, of course, our favourite... Shane! How could they not be? I mean, come on. You could have watched anything, but no. (laughs) Now, the scene actually has a bit more resonance than just them watching Shane. Like, I started to think, how is this movie resonating with Laura when she's watching it? And she sees Logan as the aforementioned Shane, like the man who is there to protect her from the evils that are pursuing her. Mm. And this also rings true in the middle of the film and how that whole family portion of the film is essentially a mini-movie of Shane. But whereas Shane is successful in protecting the family, Logan is unsuccessful. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So while they're watching Shane, Logan is out getting a new car. Was that the tracker that we saw, or was that Charles's pills? I'm pretty sure... I, I, when I watched it, I was like, I couldn't tell, but I'm pretty sure it was Charles's pills indicating that he hadn't been taking his recent ones, hence the seizure that comes up. Okay, yeah, no, I think it was the pills. Okay, cool. We also see in the bar here, Logan notices the coordinates on the envelope. Yeah, this is yeah. good. Yeah. Sees that Eden is a fictional place from one of their comics. It's bad. Yeah. Like, how destroying would that be? Yeah, he just thinks it's all bullshit now. They're, they're just going, they're just driving to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it is bullshit, but because <laughs> everyone believes the bullshit, it makes it real. Yeah, you exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because all the kids are meeting at this fictional place, it turns it becomes into, real. It yeah. becomes into their Eden. So, we head back to the casino and Charles has a seizure. I think this scene is pretty goddamn awesome. This scene. I love it. Do you? Yeah. I like that they actually tied a rope to yes. Hugh Jackman to make it seem like he was really, like, and they were pulling behind him to see, like, he's really struggling to Forcing walk. himself down the yeah, hallway. It's, it's really, yeah. It's and it's brutal ingenious. as hell, too, as well. You can see the immense power of Charles mixed with this instability and his control over it now. It's a very intense scene. <laughs> seeing, seeing Logan, like, slow motion almost... Just kill these guys. Yeah. And you can see their eyes sort of yeah, move. And they like, can't move. Oh, fuck, it's coming. They can't do <laughs> they anything. Know. It's good. It's a good scene. And you see at the end of this, Laura holds Charles's hand. She's starting to understand about family and care and all that good stuff. So this is where we meet the uh, probably the weakest point of this film, and that is the, the big villain, Dr. Rice. This is, uh, this is not a good villain. This is a very forgetful, There are no good villain. villains in this film. No, but this is the worst one. This is... I mean, you say big villain. I don't. I wouldn't have even considered him the big villain. Would like, you think the big villain is the other Logan, the X twenty four? I mean, I would probably say Pierce, but he's really just a henchman. He doesn't for really us. do much, though. Like, no one does no. much. X twenty four does a lot. Oh, does he? Uh, he kills Logan. Yeah, but yeah, we'll get to him. Yeah. Oh, how is it they're driving down the road here, and these these automated trucks? They're not going to stop or anything. How dangerous is that? You can clearly see when the horses come out, they get. They just kind of get destroyed. How can you even drive along these roads when these trucks just indi- like they don't even indicate? They just move into the next lane and c- drive them off the road. I like this. This is one of the very few things that actually indicates that this movie is set in the future. You know what I mean? Like everything around is all present day stuff, but these these trucks, no drivers, no front. They're it's just ridiculous. M- racing down the highway. So it's here that we see our our friendly farmers finally into the mix. 
And, yeah, I didn't like this bit, to be honest. This whole farm, new characters that they're all just going to set up to kill five minutes later. I found it a bit boring. Did have a great scene stuck in the middle, though. The scene at the dinner table where you see the banter between Charles and Logan here. It's really the first time in this film that we do see the genuine respect and affection between each other which is so important. We've seen so much of Logan being grumpy and angry and Charles being senile. This scene is just vital in reminding us of their incredibly close bond. Yeah, it is nice to see a little bit of lightheartedness here, like a chance to relax and a little joke about the old days. In fact, Patrick Stewart said that much of the dialogue at this dinner table scene was improvised by them at the request of James Mangold after having filmed some takes of scripted dialogue. He thought that them just, you know, shooting the shit was going to be yeah. a lot better. Well... Yeah, it's he's right. Like it's a very relaxed and natural conversation that they have, which I think does make for a better um better scene like this. And you can see this is the first time Laura's probably had an, an experience with an actual family setting as well, and she's enjoying it too. Yeah, I think Daphne Keane is actually really spot on here. Like through the use of just watching and observing her surroundings, and in particular the relationship between Charles and Logan, and, and how much you can see Logan caring for Charles. Like he's going through everything. Like you know picking him up and taking him up the stairs and getting him cl- taking him to the toilet and getting him cleaned up and that it's that yeah. love and bond that she's experiencing here yeah and I actually don't mind this whole scene here this whole family well, you mentioned here. Shane before I haven't seen Shane neither have I well how do you know that this farmer scene is a condensed version of Shane because I know what the plot of Shane is okay so Logan goes out to help the farmer with his little issue with the water pump I mean come on guys what? This is so irrelevant and it's such a waste of time. I could not care less about this brand new character's water pump issue. I guess we just needed an excuse for Logan to leave the house so we can get the old bait and switch with the reveal of evil Logan. Well, they get these other characters in so that they can come back to the house and distract the X-24 as well in a little bit. Uh, I was not a fan. Anyway, this speech by Charles here. Patrick Stewart is fantastic in his final role as Professor X here, nailing those subtleties of a man who has so many demons in his past, like a ton of regrets, but trying to right some of those wrongs with Laura and Logan. Yeah, it's almost like that he's finally fully aware of what's happened. He remembers killing the X-Men. He he knows that Logan is protecting him by not telling him about it. And this sort of, the way that you think he's talking to, you know, the real Logan. Yeah. And then it just, like, this This got me so good the first time. Like, it this, did me too, actually. Like, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, but then, you know, the way, like, what do we call him? X-24? X-24. Places his fist to his chest and then just releases the claws, slowly pulling them out, covered in blood. It's shocking. Like, this, Professor X, like, he's... He's been through it from day one. He is a massive, massive character in X-Men lore. And having him killed like this, is it's a massive deal. Like It's necessary, obviously, for the story, but, man, it's still shocking. I love the symbolism of how this whole time Logan sees himself as this cursed being, I guess, and, and the fact that everyone he meets ends up dying. He's seen it with everyone he's come across in his lengthy life. That's what happens when you're basically an immortal. Yeah, exactly. And this is the part of the reason why he didn't want to stay too long with his family. He knew people were after them, and he didn't want to get them involved. So when his fears do come true, and this family gets brutally murdered due to them being there, what better symbolism is there than Logan coming face-to-face with himself, killing these people? Nothing? Not a big symbolism guy, Dean? Um, 
I mean, this whole X24 thing, this is easily, easily what I dislike most about this film. Having an evil version of our hero just feels so cheap to me. There is a wealth of X-Men villains they could have used here. Some are new and exciting we haven't seen before. Even a fresh take on an old villain. But to just have a younger, stronger version of Logan in the picture, which Logan is obviously going to find a way to somehow defeat at some stage anyway. He doesn't. It's, it's He doesn't just, defeat him. Well, he dies. Not by him. It's a team effort. No. It's not a team effort to kill X-24. I think you're missing the point of the symbolism I just said about how he has to fight himself. It's his demons. He's, this whole film is about him fighting himself. Yeah, Having we'll- some random X-Men other character in this film where we've basically been told, no, they're all gone. This is the story we're going with. I think it cheapens it. No, I disagree. We've already got a new child version of him. Do we really need just a younger version of him as well? Yep. Now, why not finally get a live action Omega Red? Or Romulus. I think you're joking here. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I would have even preferred Sabretooth here. Sabretooth was actually going to be in this movie. That would have pissed me off. To the point where live... (laughs) To the point where... Oh, oh, live Shreba. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck have I written there? To the point where Liev Shreba was approached... What? Is that not how you say it? Liev Shreba. Liev Shreba. Are you French? (laughs) It was more German than French, wasn't it? I can't tell the difference sometimes. No. Why are you wanting Sabretooth in this? Keep X-Men Origins Wolverine as far away from this film as possible. No. No, 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 no. This bad Logan was terrible. I completely disagree with you. Are you serious? You liked Black Logan, did you? Yes, because of the symbolism that I've just spoken about. Were you listening to me? I was. I just But you weren't hearing me. No, I just don't agree with you. No, fine. Well, we we don't agree on a lot of things. Yeah. But this outside brawl... Again, insanely brutal. Like, Dean, we've obviously spoken about how violent this film is yep. and how a character like Logan needs to have a good depiction of violence to him. But has this taken it too far now? Like, this head getting lopped off and all this, is the violence a bit too much at this point? No, I don't think so. No? Either. Okay, no. cool. Do you think so? No, I don't think so. I want to get your opinion on that. I don't know. The violent, the violence level is good. And it does show how intense and dangerous this X-24 is as well, how he can just lop a head off with no remorse and just carve these people up not e- and not even caring. He's a Logan machine. Logan does that. Yeah but, mach- yeah, but Logan is a human being. He's a mutant, but he has feelings and emotions. This guy is just a... He's, he's actually a machine. What do you mean he's a machine? He's not a robot. He is a genetically enhanced <laughs> creation. Stop saying he's a machine. Just because he has metal in him does not mean he's a machine. Anyway, the dad goes to shoot mm, Logan. Anyway, I don't know about this. <laughs> Let's change the subject. The dad goes to shoot Logan at the end, and you can see that Logan just drops his hands. He, he wants it to be done. He's he's ready to go. He just wants it to end. Yeah. But, click. No click. more bullets. What a surprise. That's only we halfway did, through the film. We did skip over, actually, one little scene, which I did really enjoy, where Logan goes up to see Charles dying and makes a point of being like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Yes, yeah, he wants him to be clear. You know, I'd, yeah, I did... That was I, that was nice. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I did like that because, you know, like he saw he saw X twenty four walking down with um Laura, Laura, and instead of trying to save her, he just goes straight up. Yeah. He knows what's happened, and yeah. Oh, and Caliban died too. <laughs> did he? <laughs> was he ever really alive though? So the next day, burying Charles. Nice touching scene here. I did like it. We do see more of the effects of old age here after going through that brutal fight. You can see Logan's not healing as fast as he used to. Hmm. That is a good scene. Uh, great acting from uh, Jackman here. Very, very raw. 
Yeah, seeing him in the truck, like, unleash all of his rage after burying his mentor, basically. Oh, I love that. I love that. Is that supposed, that's supposed to be funny as well, isn't it? I had a chuckle about that. Like, unleashing onto the truck and then falling over and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Depends on your sense of humour. So Logan heads to the doctors and you find out here that the adamantium in his body is killing him. Like, it's it's a poison that's been slowly deteriorating him. I love the ridiculously large wounds we see in his yes. abdomen. Fuck me, they were massive. <laughs> like, how does he not bleed? Like, I get that his power is um, quicker healing. Shouldn't he be bleeding, though? Like, if his quicker healing power is no longer that quick anymore, he should still be fucking pissing blood from here. No, I think with healing, the... the here we go. Here we go. The, the, here we go. The fibres and, and, <laughs> and tissue of the skin, they gradually Fuck. form, and they will start from the interior. Yeah. That's been your lesson with Dr. Daniel. So he gets back in the car and Laura, she starts talking. And boy, does she start talking. <laughs> I love Logan's reaction. What the fuck? Why haven't you talked before? <laughs> and then she starts talking and he immediately wants her to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, do you know that what she said here, it's not translated, but her words are roughly, why do you want me to talk to you if you're always insulting me, yelling at me, if you try to leave him behind? You want me to open my mouth, and that's when he tells her to shut up. Mm-hmm. No, it is a much-needed, light-hearted scene in such an intense film. Just to be clear, though, it's not a comedy, even though there are light-hearted scenes in it. No, this isn't a comedy. I'm agreeing with you on this one. Oh, well done. You got it right for once. I can definitely relate to uh, your child nagging you over and over until they get what they want. Oh, I love it. I love this. I love this. Bad shit happens to people I care about. You understand? Then I'll be fine. Ooh! Sick burn! <laughs> You're not going to heal off from that one. <laughs> so they're driving along here, and I do like the tiny little quote here from Laura. No comprende. You are dying. Now, at this point, I was starting to think, is, she, is Daphne Keane Mexican? Like, she was she was doing such a solid accent here. I, and I actually looked I, I it up. I don't see colour here, Daniel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I actually looked it up, and she's British. So that's an awesome job to have such a good Mexican accent here from a British 11-year-old. Almost makes you sort of wonder, like, uh, why they wouldn't pick a Mexican girl child actor. Certainly would have been cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That is one of your better jokes. I'll give you that. <laughs> I dare you to keep that in. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. That's uh, going to be a tough call, that that's, one. That's not bad for me, Ed. No, that's not bad for you. <laughs> why do, they, why do I have to do the jokes that we can't keep in? I'll leave it in. Who cares? Also, I love how she sits on his legs to be able to see over the wheel. I didn't actually pick up on that, but my wife picked up on that. How, um, you know, it's that care as well. Like, he's passed out. Yeah. She lays him down, but she uses the legs to see what she's doing as she's driving along here. Huh. I found it fascinating as well how all the kids start pulling Logan up the cliff on this stretcher. I mean, that would be scary as hell if that was you, tied up in this tiny little stretcher, getting yanked up by a couple of kids up a huge cliff. Why? Why not? Well, what if they drop him? That's why it's so scary. Yeah, but he wants to die. If for you or me, not for him, he wouldn't care. Oh, would it be scary for me? Yeah, I'd be pretty scared. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, you can really see the toll this whole ordeal has taken on him here. He passed out three times already from the sheer pain and exhaustion. I mean, he is done. Mm. Yes, he is. I do love this conversation we have here between Laura and Logan. It's a long time ago. And I kept her as a reminder of what I am. No, I keep it to, uh, 
Actually, I, uh, I was thinking of shooting myself, uh, like Charles said. I mean, he finally accepts what this bullet is for. He says it out loud, and he seems relieved to finally get this off his chest. Which is interesting, because he's telling his daughter that he's, you know, considered suicide. I mean, is that the best, you know, fathering technique? He's not the best father. He's barely He's a still father. learning. Yeah. You better hurry up and he's, learn quicker. <laughs> he's opening up to his daughter. That's oh, good. It's good. Yeah. You know, way to shield her from more pain and <laughs> suffering in the world. I did like how they started cutting his beard and how they mimic the old Wolverine. <laughs> It yeah. did feel a bit weird as someone with a beard myself, seeing those scissors around the face, snipping at the hairs, did kind of creep me out a little bit. There's no way those inexperienced children <laughs> would be able to cut with scissors the beard that way. I know. Not a chance in hell. So it's here that you could start to see the glaringly obvious nod to the current state of immigration and border crossing. So Please, rem- enlighten me. Well, remember, this came out in early 2017. Of course. And, and this film is showing us the notion that everyone is equal. And everyone should be treated as such. No walls there. Exactly. These mutants just want to live in peace, as we've seen with Logan and Charles just wanting to go buy that boat and go live a quiet life. But they're not being treated as such and are being forced to evacuate to a different country. Sounds pretty familiar to a certain country and government in uh, real life at the moment, eh? So it's here as well that Logan says, Hey, hey, what's going on? Huh? You're with your pals. You made it. But that's not what she wants. She wants a family, and he is her family. Like, she wants him to come with her, or at least stay with her wherever they go. Yeah. So we're into the final action scene of this film, and... uh, Big final fight. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty good action piece here. Brutal as usual. It's epic. I am glad that they didn't draw it out. Actually, on my, what, third viewing of this film now, I remembered it being a long action scene. It's actually not long at all. They didn't draw it out. And I am glad that, just skipping to the end, that, uh the adamantium bullet did come back into play. Yeah, there. before we get to that, there are some pretty great reactions here from Daphne Keene and Hugh Jackman where they're going absolutely insane on these other people. You can see the effects of the medicine that Logan took. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, how he just goes into absolute rage mode and he's like, the veins are popping out and he's screaming. Yeah, and, and Give us more of that. And Laura's doing the same thing too. All these screams and yeah. it's great. And he's just using every last ounce of his energy he has left to get these kids to safety, probably knowing full well this is probably going to kill him or, you know, something very, very close to. Yeah. I just want to quickly talk about this speech from Dr. Rice. So this is the part where Rice explains his intentions and how the corn syrup they were making was actually being used to make mutants infertile or something like that. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And I say that because it really does not matter. The motives of the villain are inconsequential to us. What's important to us is this growing relationship between Logan and Laura and their quest to make it to the borders. It doesn't matter why the villain did what he did or is doing what he's doing. That's why it's never really brought up throughout the film. Why Rice is such a non-factor in this film. And this is capped off beautifully when during mid-villain speech, Logan just shoots him through the throat. He doesn't care what he has to say and, quite frankly, neither do we. No, we don't. No. So let's move on to the final battle, when he gets out the X-24 for a big, brutal finish. Oh, love the X-24. What do you think of Pierce's death here, at the hands of all the kid mutants? Uh, It was like Pierce, just forgettable. Honestly, I don't care about the way he died, because I don't care at all about him. Like, he's nothing. He starts off the movie, this weak little car scene, and you think, okay, this is going to be our big villain. You see him again at where um, Logan's hiding Charles. You're like, all right, they're building him up. He just fucking disappears. He's soft, this guy. I could not, <laughs> I could not care less about this guy. Did you like his death? 
I liked how gruesome it looked. And again, this whole film has used the violence and brutality so well. Like You really feel every slash and cut along the way here. The reactions to the pain also obviously add to that devastation as well. But we're at the end here, and obviously this is my... What? Excellent! <laughs> yeah, obviously an amazing scene here. Obviously. An absolutely amazing scene here. Seeing this character we've grown up on the big screen for 17 years now, this hardened fuck everyone else mentality to lower his walls and let himself become vulnerable and finally let someone in is a great way to send him off. To see him accept that Laura is his daughter and him risk his life to get her and the other children to safety shows how far he's come. And this shot of them holding hands coupled with Laura crying is devastating. Yeah, it, that her saying daddy is devastating. I'll give you that. And fantastic final words. Oh, this is what it feels like. Great end to a fantastic character. Yeah, it, it like it is a fantastic scene. Like without doubt, it is a great scene. There's, this death was actually apparently set up in the previous film, The Wolverine. I did not know that. Really? No, I really didn't. Oh, good. The character Yukio predicted that Logan would die with his chest ripped open, holding his heart in his hand. Ah. And here, he does get his chest ripped open and dies holding his daughter's hand, his symbolic heart, if you will. And James Mangold has actually confirmed this theory um, as well, which is I think is great. Yeah, it is. And we have our very, very final scene here with Laura at Logan's grave. She does recite a couple of lines here from Shane. Now you run on home to your mother. You tell her everything's all right. There are no more guns in the valley. Basically, yeah, her, her ability to recall... Um, word for word quotes from this movie that she saw a little while ago is pretty impressive. Yeah. Maybe another uh, hidden superpower. She's basically acknowledging that they're finally safe thanks to Logan and his sacrifice. Yeah. And of course... Fantastic final shot. Turning that cross to an X. Crying intensifies. <laughs> Fan- no, fantastic ending. Yeah, interestingly enough, Hugh Jackman actually didn't want Logan to die in this film. He wanted him to live, to be forced to live with the memories and pain of what he has done in his life. James Mangold, however, wisely, was able to convince Jackman that Logan had earned the right to die after being plagued by the immortality and pain throughout the rest of his life. So, more pointing to the journey and progression that Logan has made as a character. That with his actions of saving Laura and loving Laura... He had earned that right to uh, end his life, which was I thought was good. Oh, very good. Any last words? Dean, what's your final thoughts on Logan? Okay, Logan is an incredibly ambitious film that changes what we know about one of the most established and consistent characters ever seen on screen, and it works beautifully. This film is a powerful and emotional beast that does not waste time in setting up this new world and new Wolverine. This is easily Hugh Jackman's best performance. His scenes of grief and despair are conveyed so convincingly, Jackman honestly doesn't miss a beat here, perfecting the animal instincts of the Wolverine in all his rage and the sadness and loneliness of a man who has outlived everyone he has ever cared about. Newcomer Daphne Keane more than holds her own opposite Jackman, giving a raw performance far beyond her years. My problems with the film come from its lackluster villains, who provide no real menace or originality to the story at all. I mean, is anyone going to remember Dr. Rice? Who? Even Pierce, as I've said, so forgettable. What a bore that character is. Such a wasted opportunity to do something different. 
Also, Logan does not need to be so long. There were quite a few times I was finding myself losing interest, including the very first time I saw it at the cinemas, which really shouldn't be happening. Overall, though, a fantastic comic book movie that goes for so much more and actually achieves it. Well done. What are your final thoughts, Hendo? I mean, what else can I say I haven't already said? Nothing. Okay. All right, moving on. (laughs) No, Logan is a wonderful and fresh spin on a superhero movie. To go from the fancy, colourful, bright, fun films we're used to, to this dark, sombre and absolutely brutal film is incredibly ballsy, but everything works so well. James Mangold takes what he learnt from the Wolverine and perfects it by giving us multiple three-dimensional characters that we end up caring deeply for, with fantastic portrayals from Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, and Daphne Keane. Mangold also shows he can tie in strong themes of family and love and loss, redemption, into this brutally violent film, and make it work so well. When I saw it the first time, I had an issue that it was too long. I didn't feel that this time. It used its time wisely to build the steady relationship between Logan and Laura and the longing friendship between Logan and Charles. It also uses its time effectively to introduce us to the world they now live in and how that has drastically changed from the X-Men universe we're so used to, as well as give us some very interesting commentary on the current state of immigration and how we treat people in general. What stops this film from being amazing is the villain side of things, which turn out to be quite weak in comparison to the rest of the film. Yes, I've explained why that's the case in regards to what we're supposed to care about, but I think there could have been ways around it to tell their point in a better way. There's a bit too much time dedicated to them for us to not be interested in them, and not enough time with them to be invested in their plight. This sounds a bit convoluted, but I understand what I'm trying to say, so I'm okay with it. In the end, Logan is a fantastic, fresh superhero film, and a fantastic film overall. It doesn't get the amazing from me, but I still bloody love it. Coolio! I was the best because the crowd loved me. Alright, Dean, where does this sit in your rankings? Okay. It is better than the other Jackman film we've discussed. The Prestige at number nine for me. I would also say it's better than my number eight, A Beautiful Mind. Looking at Django Unchained, on a rewatch of Django, I probably would say that Logan would be better than Django Unchained for me. Uh, next up, Your Name. It's not better than Your Name. So for me, Logan will sit at number seven currently. Okay. What about you? Now, before I get into my rankings, I want to do a couple of changes. I've gone back and listened to a couple of our old episodes, and just some things I've ha- I've changed my mind about. I've had time a bit more time now to think about things of certain films so have uh, you realized how wrong you are with a beautiful mind no is that still your worst yeah fucking hell i am going to put ben Hur down a spot under singing in the rain i'm going to put that down to 13 and i'm going to move vertigo above django unchained to eight those are my two changes there okay but in terms of logan i'm just going to put it straight at number seven below the prestige but above once Upon a Time in America. That's where it's going for me. Fair enough. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh. Okay, we've got four reviews here for Logan. Let's start off on Letterboxd with Chris. This is my favourite comic book film, and it's a perfect ending to Hugh Jackman's run as the Wolverine. James Mangold's direction and script is so tight and has you on the edge of your seat for the duration of the film. Jackman and Daphne Keane are great as Logan and Laura, but for me it's Patrick Stewart that's the highlight of the film. Making this last outing as Wolverine R-rated was a brilliant choice. Finally, we can see the savagery that should have been there all along. I remember seeing this at the cinema with my girlfriend, and I promised to myself that I wouldn't cry during a comic book movie, but the moment when Laura turned the cross to an X just made me lose it. 
a perfect ending to a series of films I grew up with and a film that I will revisit for years to come. Thank you very much for that, mate. Thanks, mate. Next review comes from TJ at Movies with the Misses. Deep breath. <gasps> Logan is slightly overrated. <gasps> Hattie. Too much hype. I enjoyed how gritty and brutal it was, though still hard to watch at times. Stuart was amazing, as well as Jackman. This one suffered from a MacGuffin-y story. Little girl with same DNA, the clone, etc. Six and a half claws. We've also got one here from our mate Brothers at A Mad Silentist. Thanks for giving me an excuse to rewatch my second favourite movie of 2017, not that I needed it. Logan is the mature, violent, heartbreaking Wolverine film that fans had been asking for for 17 years. Hugh Jackman gives a powerhouse performance in his last outing as the Canadian mutant, showing the rage and compassion his character is known for. The supporting cast are also fantastic. Patrick Stewart excels as an aging Professor X struggling with the deteriorating mind and showing the real vulnerability of a character not in control, but also the stubbornness and guidance of the mentor he has been his whole life. Daphne Keane has a breakout performance as Logan's genetic daughter, Laura, tapping into the feral and protective nature of the Wolverine with an innocence of a child not accustomed to the outside world. Although not without its flaws, weak head villain X-24 feels a bit like a cop-out. There you go, Mm. Dean. Thank you, brothers. Logan stands along with other top-tier superhero films like The Dark Knight and Captain America Winter Soldier, but also on its own as a great movie. Thanks for that, mate. Thanks, mate. And, of course, we've got... Off you go, Dean. I didn't see Logan until the start of this year. I should have watched this when it came out. Hell, I should have gone to the pictures for this one. The trailer just didn't do it justice for me, and I thought it would be another style over substance affair, but Logan is anything but. I love this movie. It was refreshing to see what a brutal, non-conformist X-Men film could be. MCU slash DC take note, as if. Best superhero of... Best superhero film of 2017, one of the best films of the year. Wolverine slash Logan is a central focus, of course, and Jackman gives his best performance in the role. Logan is three-dimensional, and the world around him is a nasty, unforgiving place. Characters die needlessly and violently too, innocent and guilty alike. Really, given how cartoonish and laser explosion-orientated the franchise usually is, this would have been the last thing a lot of people would have expected. Heartfelt, depressing, and emotional, it makes a great X-Men finale if there could be one. I guess we'd all wish they got here sooner. Thanks, Shane. Thank you very much, Shane. We've also got a couple of questions here from you, the listeners. Our first one here is from the Films on Trial podcast, who says, What's your favourite original international film that you'd like to see remade for the American market that hasn't already been done so? Dean, what would be your pick? I know, this question is a bit tricky. So, favourite international film that I want remade? None of them. Like, all the great international films, I don't want a dodgy US version of. So, that's my answer. Okay. I I agree, I would say none. But if I had to choose an international film that I would like to see made into an American film, I guess, I would say Wild Tales. For me, it's not a spectacular film. It's a fine film. And it would be interesting to see them create this in an American environment or an English environment. It wouldn't have to be an exact remake. It would. It could be, you know, six different stories. So you just want a US anthology film? That's centered around revenge. And... <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, thank you very much, Films on Trials. Thank you. We have one here from the FYFC Studios said, if you could play any character in a movie, who and why? Well, while Dean thinks about this, for me, obviously, it'd be James Bond. I mean, how could you not travel around the world doing espionage, all the Bond girls, be a great lifestyle, I guess. 
It would be, and that's a really good pick. Dean, come on, how can it not be Batman? I mean... Dean's Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, you're right. How could it not be Batman? Spewing out some classic Batman dialogue to some classic Batman villains would be epic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Batman. One here from Craig Lane said, Could Jesus microwave a burrito so hot that he himself could not eat it? Well, if Ben-Hur is anything to go by, I'm going to say no. <laughs> well, for me, I asked the question back, could God create a stone so heavy even he couldn't lift it? Also, one here from the Brocast podcast, what has been your favourite and least favourite film trilogy? So, for me, I would say... Okay, so if I... <sighs> if you're talking favourite in terms of overall three fantastically well-made films. I yeah. would say the new Planet of the Apes trilogy. I think those three films are so... Like, every all three of them are fantastic. But for me, in terms of favourite, I would probably have to say the Back to the Future trilogy. I could watch those three films over and over and over again. The third one, not so great as the other two, but I can still watch it in that trilogy and love every minute of it. So. Yeah, Back to the Future is a fair pick. Definitely one of my favourite trilogies as well. For me, though, it was really down to... Lord of the Rings versus the Dark Knight trilogy. And I would say I would actually go for Lord of the Rings on this one. Okay. I think they're not as rewatchable as the Dark Knight movies, but as far as yeah, just epic scope and whatnot, I think I think Lord of the Rings would be my favourite trilogy. Fair enough. What about your least favourite trilogy? I would say, even though I haven't seen the middle one, Fifty Shades. <laughs> Without a doubt. How is there any question here for you? What is worse for you than I Fifty Shades? I didn't even think about Holy it. Holy shit. No, tell us tell us what's your least favourite. I favorite. didn't even think about it. I was thinking the Star Wars prequels. Oh, what? Yeah, They're but awesome. no, I, I actually, now you've mentioned it, I do agree with no, you. No, no, no. Don't, don't I didn't let even think me of it. change your mind. <laughs> Star Wars. Got one here from The Contrarian said, I'd just like to hear Dean explain why he likes Batman versus <laughs> Superman, Dawn of Justice. Yeah. Firstly, fuck you, all right? <laughs> Secondly... <laughs> I have decided to rewatch the movie before I answer this question, Ooh. so stay tuned. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know you're just going to pick apart every little thing I say <laughs> anyway, but nah, it is it is long overdue for a rewatch for me. All right, we've got a whole bunch of questions here from Seamus McKillen. First one here, what childhood movie was a must-watch every night? So for me, I, I didn't really get into movies so much when I was a kid. I don't really remember too much about movies I watch constantly all the time, but if I if I can think of what I would have been watching, I'm sure it would have been like live action 90s flicks. Like for me, it would be like the Mighty Ducks or Blank Check, The Little Giants, like Richie Rich, all those films like Casper, Dunstan Checks In, man. I, I had that on uh, VHS. God. Yeah, I watched that a couple of times. I think those kind of films there, those okay. cheesy 90s yep. live action films. Yep, fair enough. Um, Casper would be one of mine for sure. I had that on video yep. back in the day. But for me, it's pretty clearly two movies I watched as a kid far more than any others, and that was Hook and Labyrinth, both of which I absolutely love still. So, yeah, I got no shame there. There's no Dunstan checks in for me. <laughs> <laughs> Next question here, he says, how much of your podcast is written and how much is ad-libbed? All right, so this is a good question. I will say every word that you hear is meticulously written down, except that one, (laughs) and possibly that one. 
Nah. So we make, obviously, we watch a movie, we make a ton of notes, whatever we can, and then we just, we basically use them as a guide to prompt conversation more than anything else. We definitely else. riff a lot. Yeah, I mean, hearing us just read off stuff is never going to be an exciting podcast, so... I don't I, write down any of my insults for Dean, I just have more reading. Like, <laughs> bang, 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 bang. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, we, we sort of feel that the more improv, the better, but we do obviously need prompts for things to discuss and what we want to get into. Of course, we're not going to remember every little thing we want to say unless we jot some notes down. Yeah. Also, do we watch MMA? No. No, uh, we don't. Sorry, we did watch the uh, the Jones-Cormier fight a little while ago. That was yeah. the only one we really watched. But other than that, no, not really into MMA at all, unfortunately. Uh, he also wants to know, what's McDonald's like in Australia? What's it, what's it like? Yeah. It's like McDonald's. Yeah, I don't, I know don't, any, I don't any have anything to reference. Like, what's it like? We have Big Macs. We have... McChicken burgers, like we have the McOz. Do you have the McOz? We don't even have the McOz all the time. We get that's yeah, we, a speciality. We sometimes we have a McOz which has beetroot on it. I mean, yeah, Macca's is good. Yeah, it's greasy, Ma- it's disgusting, right. it's delicious. He also asked, "What two films would Chris Farley had been in had he lived longer?" <laughs> this is a pretty funny question. Yeah. I didn't mind this. I got a uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop. Okay, <laughs> and uh, Rush Hour. Fair enough. <laughs> so, I I do wish Chris Farley was around because he would have taken a lot of the Kevin James roles. <laughs> and I did originally think Paul Blart Morcott, but I thought maybe he would have taken that role in Grown Ups 1 and 2. What about Hitch? It would have made a lot more sense to have him in that crew of Sandler, Schneider, all those 90s comedians back together again. Even seeing him with David Spade again would have been better. Would have made the movie better than what it is, which is not. So, that's my two picks. I'd say Grown Ups 1 and 2. That he would have been in. Fair enough. That's a good question there. Uh, Seamus also wants to know, do you guys like saying Wooshka as much as me? Wooshka. I think we love saying Wooshka. Wooshka. Probably more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, who's taller out of us two? Why do you answer that question, Dean? I think it's you. I think you take the edge. I I don't think it's a think. It's a no. I am definitely taller than you. Am I wrong? No. (laughs) K-N-O-W. I know I am taller than you. How tall are you? I'm six foot four. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Oh, God. He's about 5'11", guys. Don't listen <laughs> to What does that me. make you, five? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Seamus also asks, have you guys done anything else entertainment-wise besides podcasting? I briefly had a YouTube channel for a little bit there called the Minute Movie Minute, where I was reviewing movies on a one-minute timer. Look it up. Leave a comment. Yeah, do it. Uh, no, I actually had to drop that because the the burden of the YouTube channel and the podcast together was come, becoming a bit too much. And oh, so we're a burden to you, No, are we? selflessly, I sacrificed my YouTube channel to keep Dean in his entertainment world <laughs> of podcasting. Yeah. But other than that, no. No. Uh, I try and entertain the kids every once in a while. We have not. <laughs> so thank you for all your questions there, Seamus. We have one here from Flix X-Raid. said, what is the one movie that you will always watch when you're not feeling well? Now, I didn't know if you meant, like, feeling sick and you were sitting in bed watching a movie, or if you're, like, feeling upset and you wanted a cheer-me-up film. Okay. Well, if we're going with the second one, I would probably say Requiem for a Dream. Bit of a pick-me-up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it makes me realise that, you know... How better your life too, is. not too bad. Could be worse. Could be worse. <laughs> well, if we're going with the first one where I'm just sitting in bed watching a film that I, I love and could watch over and over, I'd probably just say Snatch. I've watched that. A lot, a lot of times, and I just, I love picking up little bits and pieces here and there every time I watch it. Very good. No, that's a good movie. Thanks for that, Flix X-Raid. We also have one here from Christian and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show. Is there a remake that you feel is better than the original film? 
I actually have two in mind, and that would be Scarface, the Al Pacino version. It's far better than the original. And you I also the original uh, Scarface. Yeah, I have. And Scarface. Really? Yeah, I have. And the Al Pacino version is far better. And my other choice would be the Steven Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, that was my pick for yeah. sure. Ocean's Eleven, the first ones I have. Have you seen the first one? I have. Yeah. You have not. I, saw I the have. First I saw it on TV. They had it on TV before Ocean's Eleven came out at the cinemas in two thousand and one. Anyway, so Sammy I saw Davis it. Jr. is very yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, the first one's really boring. Um, Soderbergh's just injects so much life into it. It's fantastic. So, yeah, I would say Ocean's Eleven for me. And our last question here from the Pipe and Hot Tea podcast. Can you rank the Jurassic Park movies from your favorite to least favorite, including both Jurassic Parks 1 to 3 and Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? Dean? One. Worst. Oh, does it say from worst? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Uh, rank them. Oh, it okay. does. It does. From your favourite to least favourite. So you were right. From my favourite. I mean, yeah. number one, by a mile, going into number two, then a big gap to Jurassic World, and then number three. I haven't seen Fallen Kingdom as yet. Okay, well, I have, so I'll do my ranking when I talk about that film. So thank you, everyone, for your questions. If you'd like to send in next week's questions or any reviews that we do, you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. You can contact us on Twitter at imdbjourney, or you can get onto our letterbox page at letterbox.com slash imdbjourney. Okay, so it's time to get into last week's Twitter poll where we drafted movies remade from foreign films in the spirit of Yojimbo. And just to recap from everyone, I had The Departed, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Ring, True Lies, and The Magnificent Seven, the 60s version. And I had Let Me In, Insomnia, 12 Monkeys, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and A Fistful of Dollars. And we got a couple of comments here. One from the We Watch The Thing podcast said, All Daniel, The Departed, The Ring, and True Lies, not even a contest. Uh, One from my brother here, pretty hard to pick Dean, because he doesn't have The Departed. However, he does have Insomnia and Mr. Ripley, which are quality flicks. Dean's third best is as good as Hendo's second. So in the end, I guess I'm going with quantity over quality. Thank you. Got one here from Paul Tracy said, So Departed, True Lies, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and The Ring. Hot damn, I was about to go, oh, Daniel, obviously. But then I saw Let Me In over on Dean's list. And that film, man, that was gold. Edging that over Daniel for me by a smidge was 12 Monkeys, and that was all she wrote. One from Flix X-Ray said it was a tough choice, but gonna pick Daniel. He won me over with True Lies. Films on Trial said Daniel gets it again for me here. Too many great choices to ignore. Same with Cinematically Correct said Team Daniel. The Departed is from my state, so I gotta pick the list with that one. And in the end, 65 votes later, 63% to Team Daniel. Just another a win there. It's just becoming a, a regular thing these days. You're on a roll. I am. But I'm not going to give you a film yet because it is time for... Pub Quiz Asshole. All right, Dean, do you want to go first? Yes. Fat Louie is the name of Mia Thermopolis's cat in which 2001 Anne Hathaway movie? I don't care about any of that. I'm just thinking 2001 Anne Hathaway film. She was... <sighs> Shit. Okay, so she was young. Yeah, it's like 17 years ago she was young. What? Young? Okay. Uh, Princess Diaries. Yes. I remember her from... Brokeback Mountain in 2005 yeah. and then she did that's the only thing I remember her from before that oh she did Ella Enchanted didn't yeah. she okay Sorry. so it's probably one of those two ah Dean in 2015 James Spader voiced the evil android Ultron in the sequel to this film The Avengers very good <laughs> <laughs> who didn't win American Idol but did win an Oscar for her role in Dreamgirls Jennifer Hudson correct Dean 
Kawai stood in the jungles of 1930s Peru in this 1981 Steven Spielberg film. The Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Correct. Hey! Bill Hader voices one of the green piggies in which 2016 movie based on a video game? Um, the Angry Birds film. Correct. Dean. Meryl Streep co-starred with this ex-James Bond in 20, 20, in 2008's Mamma Mia. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. Correct. What is the rank of Akbar who warns it's a trap in Return of the Jedi? I actually know this. It's Admiral. Yeah. Dean. The Sixth Sense and Silver Linings Playbook are both set in this city. Philadelphia. Correct. I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. I got it because I've seen The Sixth Sense a million times, and they do talk about it at the school, Philadelphia. Cool. Yep. All right, there we go. Last one. So we're on four all? Yeah. All right. Which 2010 sequel dared audiences to get ready to carry on? Which sequel? That was it. Which 2010 sequel dared audiences get ready to carry on? <laughs> I, I want to... I have no idea. I want to ask a question, uh, and this is gonna this is gonna pip for me. Can you spell carry? Yes. C A R R I E. Sex in the city. Yeah. I was confused because I thought it was carry like C A R R Y. All right, Dean. In the title of a 2006 film, the 13th in a series, this word comes after Star Trek. 2016. This could be it, guys. This could be it. Was that the last Star Trek? Got him on the ropes. <laughs> Everyone's screaming into their phones. Shut up. <laughs> I cannot remember the name of the last Star Trek movie. I can remember the second one. What year? 2016. I'm going to apologize in advance for everyone breaking their phones in frustration. <laughs> What's the name of the last Star Trek? Star Trek. Was Star Trek Beyond? Was that the first one? Or was that the third one? Star Trek Beyond. Was Beyond a Star Trek? Star Trek Into Darkness. Was it just Star Trek and then Star Trek Into Darkness and then Star Trek Beyond? Is that even a movie? (laughs) Am I making that up? Do I go with Beyond? Because I think Into Darkness was... Yeah, Into Darkness was the second one. That didn't come out in 2016. So it must be the third one in this new little Star Trek trilogy. Uh, It said 13th. Yep. That's why I said new little Star Trek (laughs) trilogy. I think it's Beyond. Beyond... Correct. Oh, man, I was close to not getting that. All right, we're into a tiebreaker here. Here we go. Dean. Wow, this is a tough one. You might actually not get this. Okay. All right, the Folksy soundtrack to what film won the 2001 Grammy for Album of the Year? Oh, brother, we're up there. Yes, that's correct. Thank you for me watching it very recently. I would not have gotten that. No, you haven't seen it. Yeah. Dean, this Sisters and Inside Out star is mother to Archie and Abel Arnett. Oh, no. <laughs> sisters. Okay, who are the sisters in Sisters? One of them, Tina Fey? They're certainly sisters. Sisters. Is it Tina Fey and Amy Poehler? And in- was it Inside Out? Yeah. Which was Amy Poehler. Okay, what's the question? Is it who is who is it or is it, it a movie? No, it's who is it. Amy Poehler. Yes. Oh, good. So well, that's a, that's a tie there, Dean. We've uh, actually ran out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> So we're both losers here. Yes, so we are both going to choose a movie for each other here. Not the worst thing in the world to happen. Okay. Well, I actually have two films to go in case this happened. And the movies I've got chosen, they're going to incorporate into what I've been watching as well. So I'm actually going to hold off on my films. Okay. I'll wait. You're going to wait too? Yeah. Cool. 
All right, so it's time for this week's DVD challenge. Let the games begin. Challenge accepted. Where we'll be drafting Hugh Jackman films. Yes, and I get to go first. That's right. So I'm going to pick Logan. Okay. Okay, my first two picks, I'm going to go The Prestige and Prisoners. Obviously. Uh, my next two, I will take Days of Future Past. There's more to Hugh Jackman than Wolverine, Dean. <laughs> I, I would have picked Prestige and Prisoners as my two and three as well. But Days of Future Past would be my next one. And let's keep it recent. I'll go The Greatest Showman. Okie doke. I'll get uh, an X-Men film in here. I'll go with X2. Yep. And why not go with a little early 2000s film that I watched so much in my teens? I'm going to go with Swordfish. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take Les Mis and Happy Feet. And my last pick, I'm going for the wild card here. I'm going to go with Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. Yep. Okay, so we'll put that poll up on Twitter about 24 hours after we upload this episode. You can go ahead and vote there and see who has the best team. So, what's next? Okay, so now it's time to find out what film we'll be watching next week. Now, we did say last week that this movie was going to be getting chosen by Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast, and he was very kind enough to send us a little audio clip, so let's get to it. Hello, Daniel and Dean. This is Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. Just want to thank you guys for pulling my name out of the hat to nominate the film that you're doing for this week's episode. And I've gone back about 20 years, in fact, exactly 20 years, to 1998 for what I consider to be Steven Spielberg's finest film, better even than Jaws, though it is pretty damn close. I'm talking about Saving Private Ryan. That's right. Steven Spielberg's most mature, arguably most visceral, most biggest gut punch of a film, which I consider to be the greatest war film of all time, and one of probably my 10 favourite films of all time. No idea what you guys think about it, but I'm really excited to hear how you're going to pull this one apart. It even has a bit of folklore history for me in terms of my past, the screening I saw it of, the night it opened here in Perth. A gentleman who clearly was suffering from PTSD lost it in the movie theatre. He had to be dragged out of there, kicking and screaming words to the effect of, you don't leave your mates behind. That's how powerful this film was, and I believe still is to this day if you catch it on the high-def format. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. This is Paul from the Countdown Movie Interior Reviews signing off and cannot wait to hear the episode. Cheers. Oh, all right. Wow. Saving Private Ryan. For some reason, I thought he was he was going Schindler's List. To 1998? Yeah. I don't know. That's just where I thought it was going. But, uh, yeah, just super thankful, Paul, that you did not pick Jaws, so. Oh, shut up. Oh, Paul, <laughs> we're, like, you want us to, you want us to argue about something? Wait till we get to Jaws. I bloody love Jaws. Yeah. Dean hates it. Anyway, but, we're getting off topic. <laughs> yeah, but thank you once again, Paul. Thank you. Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, Fantastic we'll be... uh, choice there, and uh, I look forward to getting into it next week. Yes, should be a lot to get into on that film, I reckon. Right, that's going to do it with this portion of the podcast. We are going to be back on the other side of this break and a promo from the Man Brain podcast. But that's going to do it for Logan. You should take a moment. Feel it. You still have time. Man Brain. You know you want it. You know 
you need it. Let me introduce you to our team of audio professionals, 100% committed to giving you the greatest extreme comedy podcast of all time. Um, what, what's, um, S-P-H, um, I'm so super cute. Send me your orgasmic release videos. You can get it rooting. You can get it tooting. You can get it doing doughies in your yeet. Mi nombre es Tio Yeti. And you just laughed at little Hank. I ain't gonna pretend I is fresh. But looks like you might like that. And most importantly, I'm Skulker. Go to manbrainpodcast.com to get orally violated. Manbrain out. So with this second part of the podcast, as always, just a reminder that this section will be spoiler free. If you haven't seen the movies, don't fear, we will not spoil it for you. All right, Dean, how many films did you watch in our little break here? I watched nine. How many did you watch? I also watched nine. Oh, good. All right, who wants to go first? You can go first. All right, why don't we start off with Jurassic World Fallen Franchise. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. Is it that bad? Okay, I've got some things that I did like about this film. And in particular, the direction from one Antonio Bayona, who made a couple of other great films in The Impossible. Have you seen The Impossible? Yeah. Yeah, he made that. And he also made A Monster Calls, which is one of the films I'm choosing for you this week. Okay, good. I haven't seen it. Yep. Obviously. Obviously, (laughs) yep. And the way he shoots a lot of this movie, and in particular the final third of this film, is actually really impressive. Making the incredibly intense and eerie setting with great use of lighting and shadowing. He's had a bit of experience with this and another film he directed, which is The Orphanage, and he's done well with what he had to work with here. It's just a shame that what he had to work with is an absolute abortion of a script. It's embarrassingly bad. Like, the story is atrocious. Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard are not complex or have no real narrative, and these are our protagonists, and they don't develop at all in the slightest, and in the end, are incredibly boring. The villain is laughably cookie-cutter, nearly as bad as those two jokes in Rampage. The comic relief... (laughs) (laughs) The comic relief nerd side character is nails on a chalkboard annoying. Like, how dumb do the writers think we are to think that a guy doing a high-pitched scream over and over would pass for comedy? It's incredibly embarrassing. James Cromwell shows up here as John Hammond's business partner, who we've never been mentioned in any, who has never been mentioned in anything else ever. So again, these writers treating us audience like we're just dumb pieces of shit. And then there's this new character in this young girl who is mentioned as the granddaughter of, of something. But then there's this mystery behind it all. And when it gets revealed who she really is, it's so unbelievably terrible and it never gets addressed again. Oh yeah. And Jeff Goldblum's back is Ian Malcolm. Yeah. For about two minutes to book in the fucking film. 
in these tacked-on courtroom scenes that have nothing to do <laughs> with the central story and something you can tell they got him in for like two hours to say a couple of lines of dialogue, handing him a bag with a big dollar sign on the way out the door. Every character makes very bad decisions at every twist and turn. There's a ridiculous amount of gaping potholes scattered throughout the film. Oh, you're in a Jeep speeding to a boat that's already taken off from the dock? Here's a magic ramp that the car lifts as you drive off the dock. Oh, and none of the many highly trained soldiers who just boarded the boat saw you do this? I'm not a fucking idiot. Don't treat me like one with a terrible excuse for a script. Jesus. And the ending. The ending is so horrifically bad. I can't even continue anymore. It's making me mad. Sorry, J.A. Biona. I know you're so much better than this, and I'm giving you a pass on this one. You did what you could with what you had, but a chocolate-covered shit is still a piece of shit in the end, and I've still got that taste in my mouth. Massive avoid. We have got a couple of reviews here. One from Matt Longfellow said, Very nonsensical writing. Nothing new visually. Character decisions make little sense. Movie was a cash grab. Plain and simple. Completely agree. Did I say a few reviews? There was one. (laughs) So moving back to the question before about ranking the Jurassic Park films. Number one by a long shot. Bit of a gap there. Then going into number two, The Lost World. Followed up by Jurassic World into Jurassic Park 3, and of course, my worst is Jurassic World 2, Fallen Shit. Dean, what is your worst film of the week? Legacy of a White-Tailed Deer Hunter. What? 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 (laughs) Why do you watch so much random crap? (laughs) What is this? This is a... uh, It's a movie about... Um, A father taking his son out with a mate and trying to show him what it is to hunt and to teach him to be a man. It stars Josh Brolin, Carrie Coon, and someone who thinks they're really funny but isn't. I'm going to say it's Danny McBride. And it is Danny McBride. This movie is... It's not good at all. It's actually quite terrible. Thankfully, it's only short. I mean, Josh Brolin is the reason that it doesn't get half a star. And Not again. Carrie Coon either? I thought with Josh Brolin and Carrie Coon. I think, honestly, if Carrie Coon wasn't in it, I probably wouldn't have watched it, but sh- she is, like, first seen and done in this film. Oh, really? Yeah, so... Yeah, that was really disappointing. The kid is terrible. As I said, Danny McBride, his character, firstly, has no story to their own. They have no arc. The way he lives and treats his kid are so unbelievable. It's not funny. The kid is a terrible, terrible little shit. (laughs) There's meant to be some, you know, some obviously message and stuff. But, I mean, Josh Brolin's always good. You haven't seen Jonah Hex, have you? No, I haven't. I mean, don't get me wrong. This movie is garbage, but I can watch Josh Brolin quite happily for an hour and a half um, in garbage. But... The ending, something about these bad films and the ending. This ending is so unbelievably bad, it's not funny. So, yeah, I, I recommend you watch it, which is why... Nah, I'm joking. I won't give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's terrible, though. Okay, my number eight film for the week. It always pains me to agree with you, Dean, but, yeah, what we do in the shadows, it wasn't funny. Yes! Yes! <laughs> uh, we're in the minority, but I agree. I, oh, I, I thought you would like it. I didn't find the appeal. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. There, there, were, there, were, <laughs> there were some funny points, but it, it got yeah. so grating oh, really yeah. quickly. Yep, yep, yep. And, and in the end, the jokes, that, they really felt one note and repetitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but... But same as you, I can see how this humour would be appealing to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I can understand why it is hailed as such a good film, but 
for me and for you, I guess, it's not really my kind of humour, and I, I just didn't enjoy it as much as I'd hoped. Yep. No, as I've said, I was in the same boat, so yeah. disappointing. Uh, my number eight film is a film that you got me to watch, an 80s classic, The Goonies. Oh, Whoa! just Goonies. Oh! <laughs> you didn't like The Goonies? No, I did not like The Goonies. Oh, boy. Do you like The Goonies? I enjoyed it. No, I didn't enjoy it. The script was a joke. It's one of the corniest things. I've How ever... was our Mama Fratelli? Yeah, Mama Fratelli. I'm so glad I know who that is. Um, <laughs> actually, speaking of Mama Fratelli, I will say one of the better things, if not the best thing about it, are the memorable characters throughout. And I really like that they all get these cute little nicknames. Like all the kids have got like one word nicknames. And the cast, the cast is really good. Did not expect to see Josh Brolin pop up in this film, in first his film. first ever yeah. role. Um, yeah, that that was good. But yeah, the script is terrible. It's so predictable. Like, it's like a pre-teen Indiana Jones story. So, like the start of Last Crusade? Sure. No. No. <laughs> Last Crusade is much, much better than this. And it's so long. Like, not enough actually happens once they're finally into the caves. Nothing really happens. They just walk around for the rest of the movie... Yeah, it's just, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it would have been great to watch when I was uh, under 10, but now, not so much. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I really just can't see how it's in the same, talked about in the same league as, like, your hooks and stuff of movies that were, you know, great then, but Hook is great. Hook is great. Yeah. Goonies not great. Goonies is fine. Yeah, Goonies is pretty bad. (laughs) It's so boring as well. Got a few reviews. Uh, Movies with the Misses. Love this movie. Excited to show my son and can't wait for him to ask, why don't they make movies like this anymore? Because no one would go and see them. <laughs> Demon uh, fire. <laughs> Spitting chips. From the Monster Closet, one of Thanos' most compelling performances. I would disagree. Uh, from Movie Geek and Proud, I don't know if this pertains to you, Dan and Dean. But if you have seen Stephen King's It... Which group would you rather join, the Losers Club or the Goonies? Uh, Losers Club every day of the week. Uh, really? Just, just to make sure I was never stuck in the movie, The Goonies. You'd rather be stuck in It, the film that you turned off halfway? It? Or are you going to go for the Did old 90s? Did you not hear my review of The Goonies just then? All right. It's so boring. I would rather have some excitement in my life with It which is a great uh, miniseries or TV movie, whatever it is. Goonies is a great adventure. You're going to get killed by a killer clown. You're going to get killed by Mama Fratelli. We're talking about great (laughs) villains here, remember? (laughs) Oh, come on, Jim E. Kalia. One of the greatest coming-of-age stories of my childhood. Was this the only coming-of-age story you saw in your childhood, Jim? And it stands the test of time. It does not. The bond the kids have is something that most can relate to. Reminds us all of our days as a youngster. I mean... Good points there, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Okay, my number seven film is The Zookeeper's Wife. That was a movie from last year that I actually... I didn't know anything about. And it turns out it's actually set in, like, 1930s uh, Warsaw uh, during the time of Nazi Germany and, and that sort of stuff. And it's about this... I thought... Is it, I thought... Is this that zoo movie with Matt Damon? No. I legitimately thought that's what it was. This stars Jessica Chastain. It was out last year. It's about... Uh, we bought a zoo. Yeah. We, they didn't buy a zoo. Oh, did they already have one? Yeah. It's a, it's it's about these keepers at the Warsaw Zoo who helped save hundreds of people and animals during the Nazi invasion by hiding them in their basement and that sort of stuff. And like I said, I had no idea about what this was going into it. 
And in regards to other films centered around Poland and Nazi Germany, this one would actually rank on the lower side for me. Obviously, it's my number seven. I just thought it didn't offer anything new and didn't match the caliber or weight that of a Schindler's List or the or the nineteen eighty five film Come and See, with and the effect that that had on me. What effect did it have on you? Very raw and visceral and highly emotional film that we will be watching on this list at some point. What is it? Come and see. Is that on the 250? Yes. Never heard of it. You haven't heard of a lot of them, Dean. But this film put a bit too much focus on the Antonia and Lutz relationship, and I didn't find that interesting at all. It meandered a bit in certain areas, and I think missed the mark on the message it was trying to tell, so it is a pass from me. Yeah, it sounds really boring. Not going to lie. War with zoo animals. Come on. Okay, what's your number seven? Uh, another one of the movies you gave me. You really did give me some gems last week with uh, Goonies and Anomalisa. <sighs> All right. I mean, do you like this film? I thought it was good. Yeah, this is so... You just... You just, you like to love-hate Charlie Kaufman, don't you? You love to hate him. No, I don't love to What did he ever do to you? I love to love his films. All right? No, you when don't. they're good. They're really either really, them. really good or they're really, really bad. This is one of his really, really bad ones. Anomalisa, it's so pretentious. Like, <laughs> this, this guy, just, oh, you know, life's so hard. And, I mean, for those that you don't that don't know, it is a Charlie Kaufman, is it stop motion animation? Yeah. Yeah, stop motion animation about this guy who goes to stay at a hotel and he's questioning his life and where he's at in the world. And... Like, don't get me wrong, I don't mind, you know, as I've said in the past, I don't mind philosophical discussions and talks and looking at who you are as a person all that. This one was just so full of itself, I couldn't get over it. There is so much unnecessary naked animation in this film, it's ridiculous. You must not be a fan of Team America then. Yeah, but that's funny. <laughs> this was awkward. Like, I'm watching it with my wife, and it's like, the fuck are you watching? I'm like, I don't know. I actually took a photo of the TV of this animated guy eating out this animated <laughs> girl, sent it to you, Hendo. I'm like, what the fuck have you made me watch here? It's so bad. It actually sounds like, from this review, that I liked it less than the Goonies. But no, I like the Goonies less than this. <laughs> so yeah, not good. Uh, I would avoid it. Uh, I've got a review here from a podcast on movies and sometimes other things too. Amazing animation, very grounded and emotional, possibly discovered a new fetish. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how you would uh, enact this fetish out, but good oh, luck Oh, really? To you. you wouldn't know how to enact that out, what you showed me. Mm. you got some learning to do. What? Oh. <laughs> What's your number six, Hendo? My number six is Ant-Man and the Wasp. The only chance we've got is both of you. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Follow my lead. Ooh, really? Yeah, so after coming off of Infinity War, this really had a high bar to leap over. So am I, I mean, just, did you expect uh, it to I be talk? As, did you I expect d- it to be as good as Infinity War? That is the question I was just about to answer. No, I didn't. I never expected it to, but to me, this is st- it doesn't even pass the recommend mark. It's it's not the worst. It's not the worst in the MCU, but it's definitely in that bottom tier. It's overall just bottom tier, really. Yeah, and it, you liked the first Ant Man, didn't you? I really enjoyed the first Ant Man. Oh, this see, does not bode well. See, the thing is, for me, this is just very unmemorable. Like Paul Rudd is his usual charming self. Evangeline Lilly is really good. 
Michael Douglas feels like he came in, grabbed his paycheck, and headed on out. And <laughs> Walton Goggins reprises his role from Tomb Raider as forgettable villain number 15 <laughs> in this completely unnecessary role. I feel like the overall plot just felt a bit flat sometimes, and the humor was definitely hit or miss. Honestly, the Which thing... One? Both. <laughs> Idiot. Honestly, the only thing I was really the curious... The humor was definitely hit or miss. I'm going to say hit. It was fantastic. The only thing I was actually curious about during this film was what the post credit scene was going to be. Honestly, I was just going to say, I'm, the thing I'm most excited to see with this film yep. is how it ties into the And what does that Infinity say about War the film? Story. You're not even caring about the film. You want to right. see what happens next. That's why they shouldn't have done it this mm. way. And that's why it's not a, that good of a film. Like I only saw it the other day and I've already forgotten large chunks of it. Like, so in the end, it just misses the mark for me. Unlucky. Yep. We did get a couple of reviews in here from you guys. First one here from the Movie Reviews and 20Qs podcast. Solid, but suffers from quickly following two other works of peak Marvel quality. Completely agree there. Neither of the main villains felt particularly interesting either. However, enjoy that it feels like a standalone adventure, and Evangeline Lilly is a goddamn treasure. Also one here from I Seen That podcast. Better than the first. Nope. Paul Rudd is better when he is more of a sidekick character and can be the comic relief, and Evangeline Lilly was a great choice to balance him out. Also one here from The Lazy Stoner said, really enjoyed this one, liked it a little better than the first. Nope. The jokes played well, but the villain left a little to be desired, likely watered down for the Janet subplot to pop in a little more in my opinion. All in all, another great addition to the MCU. Another one here from Dregs of Craig said, Loved it. It might not have been perfect, but it was a fun superhero movie. It was nice to see a more personal story versus another, Oh shit, the world will be destroyed if we don't do this yet. Fair enough, I don't mind those kind of films. If if they're memorable. And this one just, it so, meandered. Sounds like you've got a, a bit of a hot take there. These sound like pretty positive reviews you're reading out. I know. Uh, same with uh, your Goonies reviews, your Anomalisa review, our What We Did in the Shadows reviews. We need to get more people commenting with negativity. <laughs> oh, okay, how about this one? Movies with the misses. Here we go. Disappointed. Yes. yes. Good on you, TJ. <laughs> Love the first one, and I think you can see Edgar Wright's fingerprints on it. This one, not so much. Everyone seemed to be overreacting. Everyone seemed to be overacting. Am I saying overreacting there? The third time you did. Okay. <laughs> Everyone seemed to be overacting with the... <laughs> overacting. That's what you're saying. Okay. Reacting. No, overacting. No, you're saying okay. overacting. <laughs> That's what it looks like, reacting. It's reacting. No. Hit the E harder. Everyone seemed to be overacting with no real character. Is that what you were trying to say? Overacting. overacting. Yeah. You said overacting every time. Everyone seemed to be overacting with no real characters to shine except Michael Pena. Stakes were too low as well. Another one here from Tim Flood said, at least as funny as Ragnarok. Whoa. I think that's more of a hot take than ours. Or mine. Yours. Yeah. They did exactly what I anticipated mid-credits, but I didn't expect that particular scene. I loved it. Okay, fair enough. Another one here from the pop-up film cast said, It's fun. No real villain, though. Ants playing drums is always good to see. Another one from Steve here from the Everything I Learned from Movies podcast. I really liked it. Once you look past all the science and just take it as a cute superhero movie, it's hilarious, fun, exciting, and all you want. Okay, guys, most of you have a different opinion to me there, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. I just didn't personally. Okay, Dean, what's your number six? My number six is Cargo. Okay, that's my number five, so let's talk. So Cargo is an Australian zombie film starring Martin Freeman. It is incredibly slow. The zombies are the least scariest zombies I think I've ever seen put to film. Martin Freeman is boring as <laughs> ever. 
Actually, that's not fair. I don't mind Martin Freeman when he's with someone who's very charismatic. He plays off a charismatic person really well, as in the UK office, as in the UK Sherlock. And in Ali G in the house. Of course. Is he in that? Yeah. <laughs> Going back to those days, uh, oh, he's man. calling people batty boys. Okay. <laughs> um, but to see him here is too bland. There's so much that happens that you're just like, why are you doing that? You should just do this right now, and then your all your problems would be solved. But they don't. They they just they they annoy me so much with their stupidity from every character and the whole. There yeah, they meet people along the way, and the people they meet are terrible as well. What did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was all right. Did you really? Yeah. This is oh. this is the line here. The recommend to non recommend. I thought the cinematography looked pretty good, showing. Like the harsh brown landscape of oh, the Australian no. outback. No, 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 no. Well, how about how uh, good no, can they I'll show th- that? If you want to see, if you want to see good Australian outback cinematography, just you keep listing folks. I know what that is. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I really want to. We'll get to that. I thought Martin Freeman was okay in this film. Oh. Not the best, but he wasn't terrible. And his efforts to get his daughter to a safe place before the the plot the happens. Spoilers <laughs> kick in. <laughs> it did hit me on some sort of emotional level, but. What drops this film for me is that there is a lot of filler throughout this film. Lots of scenes that were very unnecessary in relation to the story and yeah, ended up dragging not, it down. There's not enough plot in this film. And again, I, like what you said, I thought the characters continuously made incredibly horrible choices multiple times throughout this film. And it really only felt like they did that to further extend the runtime. Yeah, so, they struggled. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, same with you, at points I'm watching going, just, just do this. Yes. Why did you not do this? You've just you just fucked everything up by not doing what you were supposed to do right here. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it ha- but it has some flaws, but... The, uh, it has it, a lot of flaws. It's it hard has- to get behind a film when, when I look back, and like I saw it over a week ago, when I look back on it now, all I think of it is negativity. I can't okay. think of anything I actually enjoyed in this film. Like, I didn't... It wasn't offensive. It just... It's so boring. I think it had enough strengths to say that it is a passable film. Oh, no way. Just. Just. This is why I hate you recommending films to me. All right. Um, so that pardon was- me. <laughs> who recommended this film to who? <laughs> As a joke. Oh. I thought you knew I was joking. How can you get a joke from, <laughs> you need to watch Cargo, trust me, in text form? Like, oh, I was he, he must like sets this. the tone, and I was there clearly is, being sarcastic. There is another zombie film I know he liked. I'm like, maybe he likes this one. And so I'm like, okay, it was fine. And then I see he's like, two stars. I'm like, what? <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> oh, shit. We do have some reviews here. One from Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast said, A decent spin on a zombie subgenre undone by a painful first act and extremely questionable character decisions. Fair, yep, agree. Yep. And another one here from Dallas Fisher. This movie stunk. Why make a zombie movie where the zombies literally stick their heads in the ground? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't answer that question. No. Okay, so I've just said my number five, which is Cargo. Dean, what is your number five? My number five is a movie I saw a few hours ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, it was Skyscraper. What's going on? The 96th floor is on fire. You're going to be just fine. I promise you that. No, 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 no. Daddy! Tell me, how much do you love your family? Is this still in the non-recommend section for you? I'd recommend it. Okay, but okay, so but 
your idea of a recommend is different to mine. Is this a two and a half or a three? It's a two and a half. Okay, it's not a recommend. <laughs> it does. It's not better than heart fifty percent. No, but it, it, you can't just put a blanket statement out where two and a half means you don't and three means you do. Like yes, this is yes. Okay, where where is your not recommend line then? Two oh. between two and two and a half. Well, I make that call each time. You're a dickhead. But this, like, I had a choice today of seeing <laughs> whatever movie I wanted today. I could could have seen Ant Man. Could have seen. I was nearly actually going to see um Day of the Soldado. But no, nah, I went with Skyscraper because, you know what, I was in the mood for a easy, enjoyable, throwaway action film with The Rock in it, and I got all those things. It ticked every box I wanted it to tick, all right? it The action scenes are good. It is so much like Die Hard, it's not funny, but, I mean, you know, The Rock It's is, so much like Die Hard. It is so much like Die Hard. So though. why don't you just watch Die There's Hard? There's so much in it. I'm like, holy shit, they're not even trying. Not to be like Die Hard. I actually saw The Rock put on his Instagram the Die Hard poster. Oh, it's just the actually, yeah. yeah, actually in the theme of Skyscraper or yeah, Skyscraper. I actually the theme saw that today. It's like, yeah, they're not showing away. They know what they're doing. <laughs> um, but you know, but does that make that fine? Does it make it fine when you're actively ripping off Die Hard just because you're saying it? Is that still okay? I don't mind it. There's scenes in there that are pretty amazing. The... The sphere at this at the top of this skyscraper is really, really impressive. All the technical stuff in this film is great. The modernization of security and how things work into that regard was really good. They have a cool little um, Enter the Dragon sort of uh, homage towards the end of the film, which I really appreciated. But at the end of the day, it was good. You know, I'm almost talking myself into a three stars. <laughs> That's a big recommend for you, then. Oh, nah, two and a half. I mean, I'm never going to watch it again, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. Okay. You should watch it. Trust me. I prob- You know what? I probably will watch it. Why not? Yeah, that's what I mean. You know what you're going to get when you see this movie. <sighs> right? It's a hell of a lot better than Rampage. I'm hoping I get a three star. If I get a two and a half, it's not going to be worth it. It will be, though. You're going to watch this and go, two and a half, probably was worth watching, though. No. Yes. All right, what's your number Four. My number four is Tag. For the entire month of May, every year, we play Tag. You never know when someone's going to pop up. Congratulations, buddy. You're in. Doing great, Anna. Our buddy Jerry is the best that ever played. And now he wants to retire. Never been tagged. Just saying. So who's it? Can't touch it. And this is a fine film. It's very entertaining at a lot of points. Funny at others. It's kind of exactly what I expected. It's just fine. It's the definition of popcorn fun. What do you give it? Three. The best part of this film is Jeremy Renner. Yeah? Everything Jeremy Renner in this film is fucking gold. Whenever he was on screen, I was laughing my ass off. In particular, a scene reminiscent to Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes with this inner monologue fight that had me in fits. (laughs) (laughs) He is the obvious standout. A problem with this film is that ultimately it is Ed Helms' film. And too much Ed Helms is a bad thing. I can take him in small doses, and he's fine when he's a backup in some comedies, but as the leading role here, he's hard to stomach at points. But overall, this is an enjoyable film that is a good 90 minutes of fun. Very good. We do have a review here from the Movie Geek and Proud podcast, said Tag is one of the underrated movies of the year. Another one here from The Contrarian, said Tag, waste of great comedic talent. 
Another review here from Brothers, at a Mad Scientist, said, Man, this movie was disappointing. With a great cast and an interesting story, it had so much potential to be great, but instead is marred by the saturation of slow motion, overuse of inner monologues, poor character development, and plot points that are left unresolved. Thank you very much for that, mate. Dean, what's your number four? My number four, after your glowing review from it last week, is Take Shelter. Okay. What do you think of Take Shelter, my friend? Yeah, Take Shelter is good. It's not great. I may, may, may have gone in with higher expectations than I should have after your review. It is a bit weird. Like, with my review, it was my number one for that week, but it, it's a four star for me. And it might have sounded a little bit more glowing because it was my number one. You did say it was like the greatest acting you'd ever seen. In that specific scene that I was talking yeah, about. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I was trying to work out which scene you were talking about. That's how wrong you were on that take. Yeah, that's, um, that's how wrong you were. You couldn't see it. I will say Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain were very, very good throughout. But there was no point where I'm like, whoa, damn, that's amazing. There was nothing like that. It wasn't nearly as epic as you talked it up to be. It had serious pacing issues. It was so boring in some parts. It wasn't funny. And it's a small story. Like, not a lot actually happens in it. And I hate most dream and vision sequences in movies and TV shows. And there are so many in this film, it's not funny. They And the problem with them is they're all so similar. They just got really repetitive and lost their impact. Like, the first few, I was like, oh, wow. And then it just kept going and going. It's like, yeah, we've seen this shtick now a few times. You can... We get it. Move so, on do, to you ha- do you hate all those dream sequences and that in The Sopranos? Yes. That's a worse... Oh, wow, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. When he goes in the coma, I won't say who, <clears throat> but when he goes into the coma, that's the worst thing about the whole series. Okay. By a mile. Okay. Yeah. But it was original, so points for originality... And the performances were good, though not as great as you carried on with. So, yeah, good film. I do recommend it. Like, I know I've said a few negative things, but I do recommend it. It is... It's interesting. Okay, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. Uh, my number three film is Journey's End. This is a... Is that that Brendan Fraser one? Why do you get all these films wrong? This is a film... It's <laughs> <laughs> so shit. It's so shit. <laughs> what are you thinking of? Journey to the Center of the Earth? I'm just joking. I don't think you are. (laughs) This is a story about a group of British officers led by a mentally disintegrated young officer during the war in 1918, awaiting their fate on the front line. And this is an interesting film, to say the least. I think it's I think it's based on a play, actually, if I'm not mistaken. So it centers heavily on the characters and their interactions with each other as they wait out their orders in the trenches. There's hardly any actual war scenes, which I think is actually good, because the few that were in this film are actually a bit clumsy and, to me, not that well shot. There's a defi- War is clumsy sometimes, Hendo. There is a definite Paths of Glory vibe as well in regards to higher-ups oh. with wielding their control and power and having none of the blood on their hands. And I think all the performances are pretty good across the board. Is anyone in it? Uh, Paul Bettany is in oh, it. Oh, yeah. That's good. And like you just said before, there there, actually, there are some dream sequences in this that confuse the shit out of me. Like, I didn't understand what was going on. And I think the outside war relationships with some of the main characters didn't really feel needed and was only there to create some more emotional weight to certain scenes. But overall, it's a pretty good film that I think you should check out. Very good. All right, what's taken the bronze for you this week, Dean? The bronze. What do we got? All right, this is a film recommended to me by my brother, actually, called Cold Fish. 
Okay. I've never heard of this. Yeah, so Coldfish is about a man who gets involved with another man and his business after he helps his daughter get out of a jam when she's caught stealing. Now, this happens in the first few minutes, so that's not a spoiler or anything, but he does get involved with his other man and starts, you know, getting involved in a, a, a business that is probably not what he's used to. Um, now, this film, as I said, it's Japanese, and I really, really did like... Um, this film a lot. It is incredibly violent and unflinching, but it's it's just fascinating. Like it's so enjoyable to watch. The story is so fast paced. It's always moving. It's always interesting. And while it is very fast paced, it is actually slowly going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole of this businessman that he gets to gets to know and learn about. We do see some pretty. Uh, we do see some pretty good character arcs as well throughout, which I really appreciated. Um, for me, though, my flaw with it would be that I probably did not have the emotional connection with the characters, though. Maybe because of how unbelievable some of the situations were, even though it's allegedly based on a true story. So, I would recommend it, though, which is why you can watch it this week. Okie doke. Alright, on to my number two, which is... Fast Five. I rewatched this the other day. Easily the best in the franchise, I must say. Yeah. Like, bringing The Rock into it gave this franchise a good old boost yeah. and turned it from a series of street racing films to a string of heist films, which works better in this goofy, over-the-top world that these people live in. I mean, you obviously can't take these movies seriously at all. I mean, that's a given. It is one of the ultimate shut-off-your-brain films, smash a beer, eat some popcorn, and enjoy the ride films. That Just wait till you see Skyscraper. Oh, boy. In fact, I'm just going to put in a quick plug here for our friends Billy and Topher at the We Watched a Thing podcast. They are going to be doing, for their 50th episode, a one-sitting marathon of all eight Fast and Furious films. And it's going to be a bit crazy. They'll be uh, releasing all that in September. And the last two films, Furious 7 and The Fate of the Furious, is going to be one long drinking game for them. And we are going to be giving them a rule... That for them to be using as part of their drinking. So yep. you'll be hearing our sweet little voices during that in September. So Fantastic. Good, so good luck to them. Good luck, good luck guys. <laughs> Hell of a thing. <laughs> All right, Dean, what is your number two film? Okay, my number two film, as I pertained to earlier, is Sweet Country. Okay. It's one of the films I'll probably be watching this week. Why don't you tell us about Sweet Country? Sweet Country is an Australian film set in the... Outback Australian bush. Oh, I don't know what sort of time zone, but it's it's old. Okay, like it's a it's an Australian western. All right. Okay, and yeah, it's it's kind of fantastic. It's honestly some of the best Australian landscape I've seen on film. It just it feels so realistic, looking at life back in the old Aussie back days, Aussie outback days, even. Beautiful cinematography, really captures the harshness of the outback. The acting is really great throughout. This story moves in a way that you don't expect either. Like, you think it's going to be something and become something else and then become something else. It just keeps going. Like, it is, having said that, it is a slower film, but it's not slow in a boring way like, you know, Take Shelter or Cargo. It's, you're never bored watching it because it's just so beautiful to look at. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like, there's pretty frequent flashbacks and flash forwards they felt ultimately out of place and unnecessary but it's a simple story with many unpredictable moments and a good solid aussie film i do recommend that very strongly cool 
All right, I guess we're up to our number ones, Dean, and I'm guessing they are the same film. Yes, yes, they must be. What is it then? My number one film... And my number one film... Is Train Train to to Busan. Busan. Now, just remember, these are both our number one films. Dean, what did you give it? I actually give this five stars. Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. All right, I give it a four. Okay. Okay, so I do really, really enjoy it, but I'm not going to be as overhyped as Dean here, so... It's only overhyped if it's not justified, and here it is justified. And I can see your point. Like, I, if Whatever you're going to say, I'm probably going to agree with to a degree. Okay. This is a five-star film. Yeah. You agree. Good. <laughs> <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> to about 80% of that degree. The Trade to Busan. I... Uh, yeah, I had no expectations going in seeing this. It's an Asian film that looks at the first day, I think, of a zombie outbreak and what that would be like, sort of on the ground level. Mm-hmm. I felt like the use of lighting and sound was incredible. They have so many different situations that are set up where, you know, like a quiet place where they have to be so silent, you know? Then they have situations where the lights all go out and they've got to react to that. Cinematography is... I said it was good for Sweet Country. It is so much better in Train to Busan. The, the look of this film... Even as soon as I turned it on, I think some of the first shots are of our main character sitting in an office building. And the lighting and look of this building was just stunning. And I knew straight away, I thought, well, even if it's going to be bad, at least I will enjoy watching it because it, it look, it's not dreary. It's so colourful. You can see it's budget. Yeah, it's, yeah, it looks like an expensive film. But really, the whole movie is just so tense throughout. Characters, they're set up so well, all our main characters. It's a great contained stories. The zombies are just perfect. They are perfect what zombies should be. They are fast, they are aggressive, and they are violent. It's, and it's like so much of this film is set on a train, right? And it's claustrophobic. Like, you've got these carriages, these four walls, and it just, it forces everyone to be together. It's so great. Such an original concept. Even after the massive oversaturization of zombie zombie films and TV shows, it still manages to feel so fresh. What elevates this film from a four or four and a half to a five star for me, though, is the amazing emotional punch it packs multiple times in this film. And I thought this film was going to end at certain points. There was about three or four times I thought this film was about to end, and it kept going, and it was so great. And the next day, I swear to God, I watched the last 10, 15 minutes again. Um, I showed I showed Brit, not that she would really care anyway, but she watched it for me, and I just it got me again. It is such a fantastic ending, and yeah, I love it. Like, I want to watch it again soon. I just thought it was such a perfect film, and it like, honestly, holy shit, this film is amazing. It came from nowhere, and whew, love it. Yeah, I think this is a, a very well-stylized and shot film for me. It's very frenetic and, like you said, claustrophobic, which is where good zombie films lie for me. The violence is not completely over the top, and that works well for me, too. What I really love about this film is obviously the relationship and the chemistry between the father and daughter here and how that blossoms over the movie. As a father of two daughters, I could relate to some of the issues that were being faced between them. Not so much the zombie apocalypse, but more of the inner turmoils between those two. 
what drops it for me is actually the other characters. A lot of them in there. Not there's there are a couple of extra characters that I really did like, but there are a lot of them in there who end up being there mostly for zombie food, I guess, and didn't do much for me. Even the ones who make it pretty deep into the end or even survive, I just didn't connect with them. But having said that, this is a solidly great zombie action film with some great lead characters. A very solid recommend for me. Alright, we've got a review here from Chasing Movies. The only horror movie that literally made me cry. I feel you, man. Koreans really do know how to make their own zombie horror genre. Quick, unlike American zombies who are slow walkers. Uh, Have you seen the remake of Dawn of the Dead? That is not slow walking zombies. And that's a very good zombie film as well, I might add. Yeah, it is good. Intelligent, thought-provoking zombie movie masterpiece. Well said. I agree. Also one here from Films Remembered Badly. I watched this at a zombie movie night in a bar. There were two of us there with three other strangers and a storm raging outside. It was like we were survivors in a horror film and it made the already tense film even better. Interesting. They had a zombie movie night in a bar and five people were there. (laughs) Okay. From FYFC Studios. I actually really dug this movie. Great practical effects. Fun story. One to check out for sure. Another one here from the Movie Geek and Proud podcast. This is one of the best zombie films I've ever seen. Characters you are meant to like and dislike do an amazing job conveying that. The zombie movements and rules were unique and creative. You feel every human emotion watching this film. Highly recommend. It's a very good review. It is. Gee, we've got a lot of reviews for this film. Uh, from a work-life imbalance podcast, I thought this was a fantastic movie. Of course, some things are cheesy. Of course, some things don't make sense. But for a zombie flick, it's definitely my favourite since 28 Days Later. Another great zombie film. Mm, indeed. With fast zombies. Yes. The Rage Virus. Got a couple of quick hit reviews here. One from Rage. Ripley. I really love Train to Busan, the best zombie virus movie since 28 Days Later. Throwdown Thursday podcast said, This was an absolute blast. I love this film so much. Gavin Maloney, such an amazing movie. Any fans of zombie movies should definitely watch this if they haven't already. From Popcorn and Pop Culture, awesome movie. So much fun and definitely one of the better zombie films in the past 20 years. As if trains aren't claustrophobic enough, imagine them packed with zombies. Yeah, indeed. One from Sean McLean here. Definitely will be interested to hear both your takes on this movie. You just heard them. Thought it had great <laughs> character depth, which you don't find often in the horror genre. Reminded me of Snoopy. Here's a mix with 28 Days Later. Excellent choice, fellas. Awesome. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Fantastic. What a great podcast. Indeed it was. Keep an eye out for our next upcoming podcast where we'll be starting to get some guests onto the show, maybe for a bit of podcast v podcast battles and some quizzes and drafts. We're going to see a lot of your other favorite podcasts on here in the future. Right, Dean, what are you going to be watching this week besides... Oh, I haven't given you your second film. No, you have not. Okay, so I kept this till now because, like I said last time, uh, I want to try and give you you know, a foreign film every once in a while. And considering I gave you Train to Busan and you loved it, I'm going to give you The Wailing, which is another 2016 film, I believe. Is that about whales? I thought it was more about crying. Heavy oh, crying. God. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's not. The Wailing. That's, that's going to be your second film. So... You've got A Monster Calls and The Wailing. I have got Coldfish. I'm also going to watch Sweet Country. I'm also going to try and see Foxtrot. It's a movie I was hoping to get to last week, but I missed that, and I'm going to try and get to it this week. Dean, any other films you're going to be watching this week? (laughs) (laughs) The only reason he didn't watch Foxtrot is because I told him to watch Cargo. Yeah, I tried to play that down. I was like, I'm going to watch Foxtrot. He's like, no, watch Cargo. And I'm like, okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> off, I you motherfucker. Uh, um, would you believe I'm actually uh, watching Downton Abbey for the first time? Of what? 
I've watched about 10 episodes in the last two days, so honestly, it might be a little quieter week for me for films. Well, uh, for me, in terms of new movies, I'm going to try and see Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. Yeah, but we'll see how we go. We'll, uh, we're always surprising everyone with all the different movies we see, like uh, Cold Fish. Cold Fish! <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this week, guys. We will catch you next week for Saving Private Ryan. Woo-hoo. All right, bye. Bye.